finally going to get a chance to finish up our summer league prospect review today looking at Miami through the end of the alphabet and then also we got some news to get to the Alan Crab trade Pau Gasol has re-signed John Wall has re-signed as well a lot of interesting stuff that we have to hit on Kyrie Irving of course we discussed that back last Friday so if you want to hear our take on that I haven't seen much in terms of his trade demand since then other than that Gilbert Presser today we're sponsored today by Quip toothbrushes go to getquip.com slash capspace to get your first refill pack free with a quip electric toothbrush why don't we start off with this trade an interesting one i guess the nets really did want alan crab i'm really conflicted on this i it's rare for me to have a trade where i sit for more than 24 hours and just really haven't figured out how i feel on it and it's a kind of a combination of things i thought kevin pelton did a nice job kind of explaining the parts of it because alan crab at 12 million which is one way of thinking about this because basically Andrew Nicholson was about six million of dead money for about the same duration of time they yeah. ended up stretching him but and the, the you know, trade so, by the way just to interrupt here so we have it Alan Crabb who is due 18.5 million this year 19 the next year and then has a player option for 18.5 going from Portland to the Nets the Nets sending Nicholson who you'll recall they picked up basically got a first round pick for taking him on last trade deadline he was due a little over six million each of the next three years also had a player option which will no longer be the case because Portland has stretched Nicholson to about 2.8 million over the next seven seasons so that sets the stage for what you're gonna say okay so Crab is if you you want to think about it from in the most favorable terms for the Nets. Crab is making because they didn't give up any assets in that deal. He's making 12 million a year. That's what they're paying him. He has a player option on that last year. He shot 44.4% from three, played 28.5 minutes, which I believe was third on the Blazers last year just because they had yes. so many other changing pieces around. He shot 44% from three, shot 46% of his shots from three, and had a PER of 11.6. Meaning he doesn't do anything else. Correct. Other than that. And, and, and he PER, take- he's not he's not a guy who like oh you're sitting there saying PER underrates his contribution. You know there are, there are guys who have a who can have an efficiency around there that are, are more valuable because they play good defense or they do something else. Well, yes and no because there is the value of his spacing uh, on his teammates that sure. doesn't get captured in that. So I, I think it's he, he's kind of PER neutral. Uh, but I, I I see what you're saying. He, he definitely. I mean, I think and maybe another way to look at it is you know is this guy a starting shooting guard? I would say evidence so far in his career probably not and he's old enough now that we can't expect major improvements and more than that i'm not sure where those improvements come from given the skill set that he's shown so far he only took 13 and 15 percent of his shot attempts from inside three feet the last two years it was higher than that early in his career but of course you're dealing with really small sample sizes both those years you know he was in a, a very small role and so he actually shoots much more frequently from long two than from there and so that's kind of about ability to get into the lane it's also you know where he is on the floor he is providing gravity when he's standing out the three-point line so i'm not saying you know he's that's that's it's a negative but it's not as big a negative for him as for some other guys but i don't think he's a, a starting caliber player and my concern here is very similar to the other big expenditure of a shooting guard from a new york team is the upside you know like tim hardaway jr my my biggest beef with that was what like what is the chance that he outperforms this it seemed low and both 
both of them have player options on the final year. So if they do, you know, the player option is never favorable to the team. If they are doing well, they'll decline it and they'll either demand more money or go somewhere else. So I understand that the Nets are fascinated by his shooting. You know, it's something that can add to them. But I think this is a bad use of resources. I agree with you. And you said it took you a while to wrap your head around it. Number one, I you know, I understand the idea. It's right. Basically, we're paying a 12 million a year. Well, if you want to trade him, he still is 18. <laughs> so that and he counts 18 on your books. You know, he, yeah, count, he yeah. counts 18. And when you so between so I, I wrote a thing. Uh, I, I originally sent it to our nerd group on Gchat. And then I, I tweeted out about how basically this the nets over the course. And so this is really on on the three big moves they made. Not not all the other stuff because Damari Carroll because the, the overlapping pieces. But so basically they traded Brooke Lopez, Bojan Bogdanovic, Chris and Chris McCullough for D'Angelo Russell, Alan Crabb, Timofey Mozgov, Marcus Thornton, and moving up from 27 to 21 in the last draft. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I'm not saying that that's necessarily good or bad. I, I've, I've liked every single one of their deals until this one, frankly. I think that this one now, if you could have maybe gotten some sort of a pick here, it starts to look a little bit better. But for me, Crabb is not a good fit with who they have. They have Lynn, granted, who can be a free agent after this year they have russell so is one of those guys going to come off the bench now i hope it's not russell although lynn might be better than him at this point in time but russell you need to see what you have with him he's going to be kind of the face of the franchise going forward hopefully he can live up to that but he's a guy who has some potential so crab to me is either going to be coming off the bench or relegating a better player both lynn and russell i think are better than him or will be this year and your purpose to me if you're the brooklyn nets you have no draft picks really you haven't had draft picks for a long time you finally got one guy on your team who has some real upside maybe you could say Levert by the way they're blocking Karis Levert now uh who is maybe their second highest upside prospect and I thought had some moments in summer league so Crab is not a high upside guy maybe if you squint hard he can turn into an average shooting guard who's paid like a slightly more than uh, average shooting guard so he's always going to be a negative contract but to me either whether it's through free agent signings whether it's through taking on bad contracts and getting chances at, at more draft picks whatever it is this is taking cap space that could have been useful and also i would say too i think they would want to be bad in 2018 19 the first year that they actually have their pick now crab is going to make it more difficult to do that so he's just pushing you from you know towards 35 wins but he's not a guy who i think is going to be a high quality starter on a really good team and so i it really to give up 12 million in cap space to get that a guy who just doesn't change your destiny as a franchise at all i really don't understand it they think he's way better maybe he'll exceed my evaluation but you know i don't think he's going to be a plus defender he's failed in the playoffs defending some of the best players i would say so yeah that's why i don't really get this one for the nets going back a little bit to the collective the the deal that i talked about part of the reason why i like thinking of those trades together is that a lot of the pieces moved within it like andrew nicholson and those draft picks you know those the slight uptick but largely the same and they lost in those deals about $33 million in cap space, both in 2018-19 and in 2019-20, assuming Alan Crabb opts in. If he opts out, then it gets more complicated. Yeah, and, that, and he almost certainly will, I would think. To I would think. I mean, considering- what do you think he gets on the market this year? I mean, I think he probably, to me, he probably would have gotten, you know, maybe Tony Snell money, you know, or CJ Miles I, I think he's type proven of money. less than Tony Snell money. I, I, I'd say closer to yeah. CJ Miles than Tony Snell, personally. Yeah, I think you, you can certainly 
certainly make an argument that TJ Miles is better than him, although he's, he's older, of course. Uh, and certainly that, that three-point shooting is nice. And this is a team that wants to take a lot of threes. I think that they will get him out of his long twos that he likes to take. He takes a lot of those in Portland, just coming off of those flare screens where he ends up kind of in the corner taking a tough shot, which, you know, he has to be guarded out there, which is useful. I don't know. I, I It's just, this is, it's not sexy enough for me, this move. This is just, a, it's, you're advancing slightly, but really losing your chances at doing something that could really help your franchise a lot. And to say, all right, even if you look at him as a $12 million a year player now, because they got off a $6 million in dead money, I still think that he is not even worth that. Also, they still have issues in terms of figuring out the front court. It's not like they have any draft picks, and now they don't really have cap space as a way to, to resolve that. The other big beef I have with this trade from their perspective is they got to see over the course of the year, this kind of parallels Chicago's mistake with Chris Dunn, they got to see over the course of the last 12 months the value of having that cap space because teams like Sacramento spent their way out of it. Yeah. They were looking at a very good circumstance in 2018, both at the, I guess you could say for the remainder of this league year and next league year, because a lot of teams, either through their recklessness in 2016 or through just spending in 2017, were not going to be able to extract resources. When you have a narrow supply of teams that are able to do that and a high demand because of all these terrible contracts that are still on teams' books and a lot of free agents that might be changing destinations next year, you can get more assets out of it. And so to to, to give that up for this is short-sighted. Well, and it's it's antithetical to everything they've been doing. I've been high with the praise for them on how they've been patient, how they haven't done moves like this, how they've held on to their cap space. They've acquired players. The Brook Lopez deal I thought was good. They took on Mozgov's money, obviously, which is not great either. And now that crab deal, I mean, even... 2019-20 crab is still going to be on the books very likely if he opts in and it just like that's it's not like you're even like taking away your cap space like for one year here it's three more years at very high numbers and also kind of in the force of the transition here if you think about the kind of the ecosystem of brooklyn's cap space which i think is a useful exercise for every team but especially for them the year that alan crab is on that player option that's the same year d'angelo russell is going to get paid because he'll be a restricted free agent. They've already basically a, a lot of the, I, a lot of this centers on D'Angelo Russell actually delivering. He has a cap hold of 21 million and we don't know exactly what he's going to get paid, but it's going to be significant if he's good. And if he's bad, then that's a whole different problem. So it's not like they're ever going to get clear of this before things start to come to a head. And I mean, Mozgov's still on the books for that year too. So there's a challenge there, but I feel like when you, you brought up, you know, they've been judicious, they've been patient, and then it, it's really disappointing because of that. That we will not get a better transition to start talking about this than what the Spurs gave Pau Gasol. Well, we've got to look at this from the Portland perspective as Fine. well. One more thing, though. One more thing on the Nets. I, I do appreciate your effort to make transitions. I think it, it may be hopeless for us, uh, though, because we always we always want to ramble. One of us always wants to ramble on for longer, usually me. For their 2018 space now, summer of 2018, without Jeremy Lin, they would have about $26.7 million on the books. With him, they're down to 11 uh, with his cap hold. If he opts in, they would have about 14. He, he's due 12.5 million next year, but could opt out. Maybe he resigns. In any event, it's just, it's not as much to, to me. I think they could continue doing what they're doing. And I, I really, especially blocking Levert, that's like the biggest thing that I really don't understand where you now have four guys who are really need minutes and can only play the one or the two. Now you're ready to talk about Portland? Yeah, I think for Portland, they did a pretty good job here to just 
just they are going to miss crab i think but and he did play a fair number of minutes he's a good fit offensively next to lillard and mccollum i certainly would have rather dumped evan turner than crab but both of them i mean we're making 18 million a year that's just an incredible amount they've already got some dead money with festus azili stretch for the next three years they've got anderson verja you remember they acquired him for a pick a couple of years ago he's two million a year for the next four seasons still this now nicholson goes all the way off like well beyond the end of my sheet <laughs> he's they're gonna be paying yeah, it's him se- it's seven years yeah they're gonna be paying him in the 2023 24 yeah. season I, I, a quick thing that he's actually the second guy in a couple weeks to get a seven year stretch because that's actually what happened with demetrius jackson as well yeah but this is a significant number oh yeah. on the other hand when you think about what they're able to do with the tax savings then it really comes into focus of how good it looks for them yeah do you, one quick question do you remember how much verajao's 2017 18 like hit would have been if they hadn't stretched the whole thing like, oh, I, like I don't remember million. the structure of his contract uh, i think it was like 10 million okay so he had like they... some weird he had like a non-guarantee that was like it was like 9.5 oh you're right guaranteed yeah. out of 10 million and yeah. so because because what i had thought about for a hot second was the idea that they maybe they burn themselves the way minnesota did where if they had taken the hit with kevin martin if they had taken the hit in a shorter term but if he had that much for this coming year then that didn't matter but yeah i mean so there's well, and they there. would have been in the tax last year as well right if that had been the case um well so let me give you the numbers on how much they saved here they basically saved approximately 38 million in salary and taxes here and they actually now are only about a million bucks over the cap and so they could even potentially find a way to get under it if they were to move like a Shabazz Napier. They could even stretch Napier probably. It would be within their power to get under. And Or they can trade Ed Davis for somebody who makes less and is a worse player. Yeah, yeah, they could could do that. Noah Vonley, maybe he could get moved. And this is also really important because they have to pay Yusuf Nurkic next year as well. That's something that is going to be important assuming he plays as well as he did last season so i think with just the price being hey we got to take on 2.8 million a year for the next seven years that we can stretch it that was pretty good for getting off of crab salary and i do think this is a creative trade construction we're going to see more of these remember kp even thought of that doing something like that in the mock off season where you take a guy who you know is certainly way overpaid but then you flip him for a guy who maybe makes as much as it would take to make this this guy be like properly paid and that's what the trade is you know he was talking about trading dj augustin for ryan anderson back then and so i i think we'll see more trades of this ilk for guys who can still play a little bit but are, are really overpaid from that summer of 2016 it's certainly a good idea and it's absolutely possible for portland to get under the tax this year which when you think about where this is probably going for them with at least nurkic getting paid they they're going there and as you said with with vonley like vonley is not a bad player i thought that he actually showed something towards the end of last year but drafting two bigs certainly makes it more palatable and so vonley i could see a team just taking him on you know like one of these teams sure. that still has a little bit of space that would be a worthwhile gamble for a team i i don't think orlando has the space now and they just signed most spades but it actually somebody wouldn't like be a that. terrible fit in brooklyn <laughs> of, of all places uh, it, i'm it, it's uh god their front court depth is still if, so bad it's amazing yeah, like, I, 
think mean, they're power forwards and centers. Okay, we will transition to the rest of the news here. You're gonna we're gonna talk about the Pau Gasol contract. You termed it as they gave him the West Matthews in a way. But first, this from our friends at Quip Toothbrush. If you've never tried an electric toothbrush, I recommend that you do so immediately. And I recommend that you do so immediately with a Quip toothbrush. You may think that your teeth are clean by conventional brushing. I always felt like mine were. And then I tried a Quip toothbrush and I was like, oh, this is completely different. It's so much easier. You don't have to like scrub as hard either, which is nice. Like just the process of brushing your teeth is easier. There's a timer on it to make sure you actually do a good job. I mean, if we're being honest a lot of us just kind of half-ass it with a regular toothbrush and you just want to get on and, and do something else this will force you to actually do it for the two minutes that you need to it's also if you have another kind of electric toothbrush quip is just much less expensive and better it started just 25 dollars. they use just a triple a battery so it's the size of a normal toothbrush you could just throw it in your dop kit very easily and you don't even have to replace that triple a battery for like three months they actually send you a new battery so it's total plug and play when they send you the new brush heads as well you can just subscribe to get new brush heads sent to you and you can even get your first refill pack free if you let them know that you came from us by going to getquip.com slash capspace we've been talking about capspace with the crab deal you guys know that that's the url either slash capspace or the capspace code for all of our sponsors getquip.com slash capspace is that url pretty low risk you don't need a big expensive toothbrush to get the oral care that you need since it starts at just 25 dollars. it's not expensive it's a better product getquip.com slash capspace is that url let him know that you came from us. So Pau Gasol, uh, Woj reporting that he has agreed on a three-year deal to return to the Spurs. Three years, 48 million partial guarantee. We presume that that's going to be pretty small, at least, on the third year. And it seems like in a vacuum, this is an awful deal, but maybe it was the price to get him to opt out to begin with, to have more flexibility. And then what clearly has been, I would say, a disappointing summer for San Antonio trying to get in on the Chris Paul sweepstakes. Anyone else who would have moved the needle for them it hasn't really happened they just ended up signing rudy gay bringing back all the rest of their guys and now gasol has returned and no opportunity costs whatsoever in terms of what they're paying him this season they did have some issues with the hard cap to where maybe they couldn't make him whole by just paying him more this year but now their 2018 space is impacted by another 16 million dollars the year that we thought the spurs were going to be significant players in free agency have all this space next to Kawhi looks a lot more constrained now because while we don't have the exact terms of the Gasol deal the challenge of a three-year contract because some have said oh they should front load it or anything like that the only way to make the second year of a three-year contract less is to do a dip you you can't do a front load. It doesn't. It, that's not the way the math works. It doesn't make a difference. Um, it's sixteen million either way. So you have to you have to do a dip, and even then, it's not going to be that much because remember they can only give him five percent raises or declines because he was still a non-bird. So it's not going to be that much. It's going to be around sixteen million for that, assuming the reported terms are correct. That plus twelve million for Patty Mills is twenty-eight million. That's a max slot. You have a max slot going to those two guys, and yes, they can still. Oh, and a don't bunch forget of... about Rudy Gay's player option too for. 
uh, $8.9 million next Correct, year. Which that, is far that from could a guarantee. also be an issue. Yeah. And then if Danny Green, if you're, yes, he, he has a low a lower salary and that means a lower cap hold. If you're keeping him, he's going to cost you a bunch of money too. So And LaMarcus also has a $22 million player option for next season. Uh, so if, if he doesn't have the year that he's hoping to, and it's going to be even a tighter market next year than this year. And there's also, there are a lot of good players who are going to be on that free agent market. KP had a piece on that today, especially when you look at the restricted free agent. Some of those will, uh, of course, sign extensions, but that will take away from the cap space that their teams have. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's really, if here's where they're at now, if both Gay, if Gay, LaMarcus, and Danny Green all opt out, they would have 42.8 million in space. I should clarify, then, opt out, opt out and leave. It's not just if they opt out, because yeah. if they want to keep Danny Green, then he has a cap hold that stays on the books. Right, yeah, or they would have to, to re-sign him. Whatever his sure. new salary ends up being, you know, and we'll see. He'll be 31. I mean, a lot of these guys, it really depends what kind of year they have. Maybe Green drops off and he feels, I mean, I think he's a more valuable player. He should get more than $10 million. Maybe he doesn't want to risk it. Maybe he wants to just stay in San Antonio. Same thing with Aldridge. And so... If all three of those guys opt in, now they basically have no room at all. And with Patty Mills as well, they weren't able to really use his low cap hold to to get more guys in. And so I I think it was kind of high risk, high reward to really offer Gasol what apparently was this deal where we're going to give you more guaranteed money than you would have had. But uh, and maybe he would have taken less, almost certainly would have had to take less if they were able to get someone else. They weren't. And so now it's like, well, you got to pay me. But it's just a question of was it really i mean if this really was the deal that they made hey opt out and we'll give you a whole nother guaranteed year at 16 million i'm not sure that i would have made that deal as the spurs without really more foreknowledge than i had that someone actually wanted to go there and obviously chris paul just getting traded and not even having a chance to recruit him in free agency to houston was a huge blow to their hopes plus this year was partially due to just the way things turned out but i mean you could argue that other than chris paul it was always going to be this way it ended up being bigger moving movement in terms of trades than in free agency and there weren't that that many guys on the open market that anybody expected to move that would have made a huge difference even if chris paul had gotten out there you need to get him there it's not like there was this like huge list they it doesn't even seem like they were really in the mix for gordon hayward and there isn't that much else so it's like so if you're if if that's your risk is like okay it's basically chris paul or nothing i that, that never really i mean that that's a nice a nice gamble but i mean he's a great player but again that's i don't think that's necessarily worth it and then they don't probably have to worry about the long term ramifications with a guy like Manu I don't think they're going to give him multiple years or at least not any sort of guarantee in the second year but you know and anything further that they throw on to that year starts to really matter even even somebody small like David Lee or Braden Paul yeah as of right now not counting Manu not counting potentially bringing back Lee we're going to assume that Laverne signed for the minimum I don't know if I've actually seen that yet they've got about 12 million to work with under the apron still and I do think that if they knew they had to bring back a soul for this much maybe that explains also why they were willing to let john simmons go right and i think uh, john simmons is a better player to me than pagasol certainly against some of their key competition that they're gonna have to go against in the west houston and golden state in and, particular and john simmons has less guaranteed money total than pagasol has in each of the first two years of this contract yeah so it was a risk it did not pay off i mean i think you do have to make high risk moves but i think also the other part of this too is just that they still seem to be 
be overvaluing Gasol, which is a surprise to me. I mean, he didn't really play that much even in the playoffs. You know, he wasn't starting down the end of the year. So, uh, and this is... This is why, you know, everyone's like, all right, the Spurs culture, it's so amazing. We're loyal. We take care of guys, blah, blah, blah. Well, that has a cost as well. You know, and if you compare that maybe to how Miami handled Dwayne Wade, Tony Parker, they were not interested in trading Tony Parker just because of what he has meant to the franchise. You're going to try to maintain this Spurs culture. Patty Mills, they wanted to bring him back. Gasol, right? They're going to do right by him. Tim Duncan retired and they still gave him another six million. Granted, he'd been taking much less for years. That's part of it. But all of these things have pluses and minuses to them. And I think we're seeing the downside of it a little bit. I mean, everyone, 28 teams in the league would love to be the Spurs. Don't get me wrong. But there is a downside to operating in this way sometimes as well. A related but important point to make is there RIP to the idea that the Spurs were going to play small with any frequency. I mean, you look at what happened this summer. They yeah. gave Pau Gasol serious money. They they basically swapped John Simmons for Rudy Gay on a on a one year deal with a player, so one plus one. They lost John Simmons, and I would my kind of ballpark assumption is if they have a roster spot for him, that they'll probably try to find a way to fit Boris Diaw in here. You know, another guy Pop likes coaching, guy who fits in with the Spurs and everything else. So they're not going to have that wing depth unless Kyle Anderson takes a big step, and especially in terms of guys that can actually defend swingmen like that, which is really where I define the depth at that position. And that's a concern. I I think that they have gotten meaningfully easier to defeat as a playoff team. And there are other priorities that you can have, such as maintaining the culture and keeping guys whole. But I think the, the Spurs are a lot less interesting right now in terms of a playoff series against the Warriors, the Rockets, the Cavs, whoever else, than they were before the draft. Yeah. Now, of course, they needed a, another center, another big. I mean, it was, you can't play LaMarcus Aldridge at center and Bertans and Laverne. I mean, Gasol is a better player than any other big that they had who was available to them, either in free agency or elsewhere on the roster. So, well, are, are we counting and, Deadman as available to them? Well, they would have had to get, I, I would have rather had Rudy Gay than Deadman, I think. I mean, basically, that was, it was one or the other there because they would have had to break into their full mid level to match that offer That's true. from the Hawks. And, and the Hawks, it looks like he's going to start there too so that's that's also something that and the hawks gave him a, a player option so I was actually thinking about that as you were talking. And so I, I had just like a little bit of a head start on thinking about that. But why don't we move on here? One thing that I actually have to do a mea culpa for when Joe Colley of the Sun-Times report came out about Jimmy Butler going to maybe go to the Cavs. And then the Cavs said no. And then or people on the Cavs said, no, don't come here. There's too much turmoil and Kyrie Irving might get traded. And I said, well, I think I would take this one with a grain of salt. I think he's one of the the least reliable beat reporters i still feel that way about him he definitely the way he conducts himself in press conferences he definitely has an axe to grind with the bulls organization the people who give him stuff he definitely gives them more favorable coverage all that but facts are facts and i haven't heard anyone giving him credit for this he had this whole thing with irving getting traded like around draft time he was the first one to mention that everyone thought it was completely impossible now it's like oh man brian unhorst like amazing job breaking the story which is true it is he was the, the first one to, to break it but joe Colley had Kyrie. Irving potentially being traded wanting to be traded you know back in the draft process so we got to at least give him some credit for that I haven't seen anyone else doing that even though I don't really care for the guy that much uh 
In other news on Kyrie, Dan Gilbert and Kobe Altman had what uh, was under other circumstances would be a nice introductory press conference for a GM. Welcome to the fire, Kobe Altman. Your second best player is asked to be traded. And there's a bunch of other stuff with the Paul George potential trade that didn't happen and not bring back David Griffin and all this. Uh, What did you think of the presser overall? I thought it was uh, it was interesting theater, at least. I missed the first half of it. I was doing other business, but the part that I saw, what I thought was so intriguing was that the way Kobe Altman talked about the guys that they added was exclusively on what they had done, not really what they will be on this team. Like he talked about it, Derek Rose, he's a former MVP, you know, Jeff Green's been a reliable contributor. Kyle Korver is the best shooter of all time. Like those sorts of things or one of the best yeah, shooters. They always say, say that about their own they do. guys. But like, I I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that it like, other than like a passing mention, which I thought it was also interesting about how Rose was going to be back a point guard, because depending on what they do with Kyrie, that might, you know, he might start the that i mean well they're almost definitely like you do that to appease the fans and because they're some of those guys their value is more in what they did than what they will do it it struck me because that was my biggest criticism of cleveland's offseason was that they got a lot of guys who would have made sense on their team three four years ago and that doesn't mean it's why altman said what he did but it just it struck me that way because it fit together well you missed the best part of it which was gilbert's opening statement he went through and basically was trying to push back on this idea that they lost all the good people in their front office He's like yeah i want to introduce you to like john nichols who is their analytics guy and, and their cap guy and mike ganzi people like don't know them. they've been toiling in the weeds for a long time but the hilarious part was like each time he mentioned someone he had to like look down at his notepad like four times <laughs> like it looked like he was just learning these facts about them for the first time and just sounded especially when he was talking about analytics he was just it was hilarious it sounded like he had like no idea what these people actually did but that was the attempt to push back and then they're asked about the Kyrie situation they did not deny of course that a trade request had been made they stuck with the party line of there have been several conversations several scenarios were laid out pretty much the exact same thing as Jeff Wexler Kyrie's agent said and then Jason Lloyd asked them about the Paul George deal and he's like well you know that's in the past blah blah and then altman said something and then dangle was like well i do think they could have done better he like couldn't he couldn't control himself which was which was fantastic and of course he's right i would be pissed off about that too like they thought they had a deal wait yeah, wait, and, wait we had a deal and i and i do understand the criticism which the coiner of that phrase dan feldman brought up on on twitter which is that the this is really the, the criticism of gilbert for that is more about etiquette and and transparency rather than frequency oh yeah i don't give i don't give a shit it's no one has done that before as i noted but i also said i don't think it matters when i when i tweeted it out but it is uh it is a a reach of decorum yeah i mean if you want to deal with the pacers again maybe they remember that you know so um let's move on here remembers nate uh, yeah that's all soap opera drama we can move on from that aaron aflalo has signed a one-year deal with the magic one would presume that that is the minimum they had a little extra cap space maybe they threw him slightly more than that aflalo and and they also signed most spades yes uh and that one i think actually is really good i like that for them that was one of when we talked about their off season in our preview i thought that getting a shooting center who could provide some spacing would really help if vooch is still there i'm not sure mo's gonna play that much he's from the central florida area i think tampa st petersburg something like that so 
I'm sure he was happy to go back there again. Nothing out there really for space above the minimum, it seemed like, and not even really a huge role either. But I do think that like teams who have young guys can use that type of spacing from the center position to just give them a little more space to work. Uh, Aflalo, I don't think he can really help them much, but he had some good years there. I mean, that's why he was brought back, uh, and I don't really think he can help anyone much. But, you know, for the minimum, maybe he can soak up some minutes if guys get injured or whatever, but hopefully he won't really be a part of the rotation when everyone is healthy. The next one we should talk about, I'm amused that I think every single time we've done a guy signed a designated veteran contract, it hasn't been the lead of our show. But John Wall, designated veteran extension, which will pay out the same as James Harden for the additional years on the contract. So once we know the salary cap for that 2019-20 season, we will know how much he gets paid. It will be an additional, so an additional four years on his contract with that final year being a player option. And his is more significant in the sense that there was an open possibility that he was not going to agree to it. And now he will be a wizard at least for the next 12 months because he cannot be traded but probably much longer than that. And now the the Wizards are pretty locked into their core. Yeah, this is a move that maybe makes more sense for Wall due to the state of the Eastern Conference. Right now, they did go seven games in the conference semifinals. They also have zero flexibility whatsoever going forward. They may pay the tax a little bit this year. Maybe they will for the next couple of years because between Beal, Wall, and Porter, they've got three max players, at least in terms of salary. They've probably maybe got one and a half max players in terms of actual production and they're gonna really be scrounging around the edges for big men hopefully Mahimi can give them some more this year Gortat can stave off some decline they can get some more from some of these guys who are on rookie deals but they trade away their first round pick every year so it's kind of hard to get low cost contributors they're going to need to stop trading away those picks because they're going to need guys who don't cost anything but i mean it looks like washington is set up to at least be a playoff team you know i could see them vacillating anywhere between the three seed and the seven seed let's not forget that a lot of these guys who are injury prone including of course wall himself Remember, he had surgery last offseason and then came through to have probably the best season of his career, at least offensively, this year. So I think ultimately, despite maybe having some misgivings about staying in Washington over the next six seasons, or at least five, because he has the player option, which is a long time. But at least he's pretty young compared to a lot of guys getting this and should give the Wizards good production. I think for Wall, it wasn't a total no-brainer, but just financially, he absolutely had to do this and he's going to really be set up incredibly well now. And the Wizards at least can look forward to you know another few years of having a, a solid team, even if I don't see any possible uh, upside to get above you know 55 wins or so. It's also important to note that this is a very different financial decision for him than for Harden because Wall had a distinct chance of not being eligible for this next year. This was not a matter of waiting because if Wall didn't make an All-NBA team next year, he would not have been eligible. So it's striking while the iron is hot. And so while Harden could have waited a year and then added an extra year to his contract because the way designated veteran deals work is it's six years, including the ones remaining on your contract, Wall might not have had that option at all. And we've seen how stacked the All-NBA ballots are going to be for the guard spot. So there's a, a significant chance that he's not going to be on the team next year so a worthwhile decision on that standpoint from a financial standpoint because it's more money than was going to be on the table probably next summer so he he took that and you know i i I think that it's a worth a worthwhile thing from that perspective if he's willing to spend another five years there and it'll probably end up being not a great contract by the end of it at 35 percent of the salary cap 
But again, I think with the Wizards, really, they even if he left, they wouldn't really had much way to replace him. Like I, I think both for both sides, this is a deal that makes sense. Even if for both sides, maybe by the end, it won't work out that great. It probably will work out perfectly well for the next like three or four years. So we could move on here. What else do we have? Well, do you want to talk at all anymore about the Derrick Rose signing? Yeah, I think to get him on a minimum contract is solid value. It's really the injury concerns that you have to look at as the number one thing. It was Woj said in his piece about it today that he hoped to get some West teams interested, San Antonio among them. I guess the Spurs just were not interested in him, even it would seem at the minimum. I think that's actually a mistake if he would have been, he, I think he could have helped them at the moon to get someone else who can do something off the dribble but it's just it's solid value for that price he's not a great fit he's not going to transform things he doesn't he and lebron james do not work well together at all since especially because rose is not a good spot up shooter but he was able to get to the basket and when you consider the amount of spacing that this Cavs team has nearly at all times and you're not going to teams aren't going to just not guard lebron either even if he's you know a so-so spot up shooter especially on the second unit running like pick and pops with fry he has not really had that type of spacing in his career so i think he could have a good year if he stays healthy and i think he, he can help them so certainly a better solution at back a point guard than uh, Jose Calderon and if he needs to be a stopgap starter if they trade Irving they do need to get some other established point guard option because Rose could get hurt but I think they could trade Irving and not feel like oh we have to get back a premium point guard now we, we can get like a caretaker guy and then try to beef up a, on the wing or a, a little bit if they in those Irving trades. I appreciate you hitting the duality of this that I felt as well, which is it's it's a, a nice value for them. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me in that way of the Jeff Green thing where it's like, I don't I mean, he's way better than Jeff Green, but where I don't like the fit. But at that price, of course, you do it. And my biggest issue with Rose. Well, there are two with Rose there. One is he's been awful at defense the last couple of years and Cleveland cannot afford in in with the stakes that they're going to play for they cannot afford to have more bad defenders on their team so that's that's an issue maybe they if they trade Kyrie they can get better at the other spots and help that out a little bit but then the other one is that you're right that Rose is a good driver but if you're playing him with LeBron James having a guy who is not only a shaky shooter but an unwilling shooter as in catch and shoot responsibilities creates openings for defenses more so in the playoffs than in the regular season because in the regular season teams are just going to do their stuff but in the playoffs they'll go oh we can just like run away from Derrick Rose and he's not gonna annihilate us and so I am concerned about that but when you sign a guy for the minimum that's fine two more things here the Suns reportedly will not trade Josh Jackson in a deal for Kyrie Irving the Suns not on Kyrie's list of four teams that he really wants to go to we'll see we'll talk more about Jackson and whether we think he's actually worth that maybe when we get to Phoenix Summer League guys and then also in Phoenix Brandon Knight continuing his star cross career ever since he was traded from the Bucks to the Suns torn ACL in his left knee likely will miss the entire season even in eight months would put him at the end of the year and uh, Phoenix won't be making the playoffs and he won't be coming back if they do make the playoffs so there had maybe been some hope that he could rehabilitate his value this does make things a little easier for them in the sense that maybe with Bledsoe and Tyler Ulis, they wanted Ulis to get some more minutes but now if they trade Bledsoe they don't really have an incumbent option and with Knight do another basically 15 million a year over the next three years he is looking like entirely dead money I had some hope that he could maybe recover to where he could look like a lower end starter again and maybe help some teams that need shooting or shot 
creation off the ball at the point guard position but uh not looking good for him and i mean we'll until further notice which will be a year from now maybe even 18 months from now we're gonna have to assume you know that he is just basically completely dead money now certainly disappointing considering you know he has talent and still has three years remaining on his contract but yeah we'll we'll see how it affects the Suns and that this came at this point as opposed to a little bit earlier in the process but they still could trade Eric Bledsoe especially with the Kyrie stuff coming out so we'll have to see how it works out the one other thing I think we should mention just briefly is the news out of the Utah front office that they have agreed to rehire Justin Zanuck, who had previously left there to go work in the front office for the Bucks, and that David Morway, who I believe was operating for them in a, in a kind of an informal capacity, that might not be the right word for it, that he is Consultants. going to be brought and a, as a consultant, that he is going to be brought on in a in a more stable capacity as well. Oh, we missed one too. Tyler Ennis returning to Los Angeles. That's right. A two, That's a great a two contract. minus, yeah, a two minus one at the minimum. That's actually what we're going to start calling team options now. Minus one is because his player option is plus one. So two minus one at the minimum for Ennis. So if he doesn't work out, they can move on for him and open up more, some more cap space where every dime will be critical for them. They're now in this standoff with Thomas Bryan as well, where they don't want to give him much more guaranteed money in year two so he we'll see what happens there i think he was the 41st or 42nd pick th- this year well, and then but there was, anyway there was a separate yeah. standoff with brian also because i think they wanted him on a three-year contract or at least yeah. three years of team control and he didn't want that so that's it's a complicated negotiation and depending on the timing here with ennis that could preclude it but it might not necessarily depending on how they structure this yeah and they actually will have full bird rights on him as well so they can decline that player option he'll have a cap hold of the minimum and they could him back i think uh the other teams in the league blew this one especially young teams that needed some help potentially at backup point guard i think a team like the magic really could have taken a flyer on him instead of going the sheldon mack route just to see a guy any i know he only had a month and a half of good play with the lakers he had been pretty bad before then but for them to his rookie option having been declined and then to actually get him for less of than that rookie option would have been that's a surprise to me i thought that an enterprising team that had some space should have taken a flyer on ennis um you know who i actually thought i had thought of this early in the offseason and i i thought portland really missed out here and I, I didn't expect them to clear as much cap as they did but if shabazz napier is not the answer just to have another guy who can capably run the offense and if they could have gotten him at the minimum or close to it would have helped a lot let's continue on now with our summer league prospect review see if we can finish that off today it was pointed out to me on twitter by the way that we did not discuss semi ojale for the celtics out of smu what did you think of him Danny I was incredibly impressed with his defensive versatility I think it was more his willingness to do it necessarily than him just executing on every matchup but he did a nice job there he hit more open shots than I expected so yeah I I was concerned for a brief second it looked like he wasn't going to get a roster spot with them and I was very happy that he did on on that four-year contract similar to Nader's where it's fully guaranteed I think for a year or two and then at the guarantees kind of wane over time he was a disappointment to be in his ability to do anything except shoot open three-pointers but the guy is a fucking rock like he is just like, like people said he looked like a defensive end and that's absolutely true in person he's a guy who i could see in a pinch being able to guard all five positions he's six seven two forty one in a very ron artest stanley johnson type of body and the good news was at least when he took his three-pointers he hit him he was 15 out of 40 that comprised about two-thirds of his shots though 
in the summer league basically never got to the foul line either but i still was impressed by what he could do defensively so i mean he was mostly playing the four maybe even the five sometimes for the celtics team that was somewhat of an odd group with a ton of wings no point guard only one big really who played that much but i think he was a marked contrast from what you'll see with a lot of these guys where it's like they're not really playing their role in the nba they're trying to grow their games they're taking bad shots they're posting up their ice they're taking a lot of threes that they can't make like trying to grow their games also maybe just not playing smart as well trying to prove what they can do whereas he they had a bunch of other guys who were doing that stuff on this team and so he stayed much more within the role he would actually play in the nba and i thought he looked pretty decent doing it i think that's a natural transition to the first guy on the first team we have to talk about going through an alphabetic order like we have been bam Adebayo, who i was very impressed with on a visit on the physical standpoint and the element that was the most intriguing to me I, I i tweeted about this and it was funny i think it got picked up by some miami person because then it got a little bit crazy was he looks faster with the ball in his hands than i ever would have expected yeah he does have more of a handle than you would have thought he his reputation coming up and what we really saw him doing at Kentucky was this guy's an unskilled dunker effort guy, tear the rim down, doesn't do much else. And he certainly showed that he at least has a skill level that's beyond that. Now, in terms of creating shots, are those shots actually going to go in? I don't know. They didn't really go in that well. He only had four points on 12 jumpers he took in the half court. He was also 0 for 7 on runners. Why he would be taking seven runners, I have no idea. Although this was a Heat team, he and Okara White, as the two roster guys were sort of given all they could eat and so i think he was part of that was just that what he was asked to do you know he's comfortable handling in transition comfortable turning and facing uh i think what was most as far as what he's actually going to be in the nba i don't see him still ever being a guy all right go get us a bucket bam but I think that his ability to make plays out of a short roll situation or make plays out of a side pick and roll or DHO situation where he catches the ball going to the rim, but maybe there's somebody, someone in front of him, he can has the skill level to go around him, take a couple of dribbles, make a pass. I, I think maybe that's something that is really what this augurs, not necessarily that he's going to be some great scorer, but right. you know, he has a couple of nice jump hooks and stuff. Like He, he looked good offensively, I thought. And then the other way that you can use this is I think he can be a good grab and go guy to half to the half court, which is incredibly valuable in today's NBA. Like, yeah, you probably don't want him to get past the three point line and then make a decision. Like that's kind of a Draymond Green sort of thing that most guys who play power forward and center can't do. But who cares? If he grabs the rebound and can get to half court, all your other guys can run. That's that's really what you're looking for. Miami has a lot of guys that can execute that sort of a scheme. And then the more he can do beyond the basic kind of big man stuff for them, the better. And so they can cultivate that focus on making sure that his base is good what do you think of him defensively well i will say i'm a little more skeptical of his ability as a grab and go guy than you are defensively it was a mixed bag I think he it was mostly in fitting with the scouting report where he's able to slide his feet very nicely in some switch situations and some pick and roll situations didn't block quite as many shots as you would hope didn't rebound on the defensive end quite as well as you would hope so I, I think he's got a lot of potential there but he's not he's got a ways to go just as far as really being the energy big man that if he could be that type of player with his physical tools he could be really really valuable just in those respects his finishing 
finishing around the rim is excellent. I, I thought that was really any kind of dump off. He's getting to the final. He's shooting 10 foul shots a game, uh, which, again, he's getting force fed a little bit. But a lot of that was just dump offs. He is an excellent finisher. He's got big hands. So that was all encouraging. Okara White, who I know a lot of people aren't as familiar with, is a 6'8 combo forward type skinny guy but plays bigger and stronger than that kind of a modern day combo forward uh he continued what has been reasonably acceptable three-point shooting in his career and he actually was taking some pretty difficult attempts as well he's 14 out of 35 on threes they played of course in both orlando and vegas and he shot it okay on threes as well he struggled on twos he was asked to create a, a lot of isos and he was a little bit out of his comfort zone there he had only nine assists compared to 152 shots or turnovers which which is a lot for has had four turnovers per game as well but 28 percent usage this is not a guy who's really been asked to do that type of shot creation probably at any point in his career and they set it up for him to try to expand his game a little bit and he showed some ability to do that i thought that he worked mostly as a four he was able to get a switch and then go to a post-up turnaround jump shot over his right shoulder against smaller defenders that actually looked pretty good or if he was matched up against you know like a henry ellinson type he was able to take him off the dribble and get to the basket so it was are you gonna say all right he's gonna start doing all this stuff now in the nba no probably not i mean he's always an intense defensive player i thought that even his misses from three looked pretty good even when he was taking tougher shots it didn't have very many bad misses so he can hold up defensively as a switch guy as someone who's really intense he's got some athleticism he can finish alley-oops around the rim and i think he he took a nice uh, step forward here and you have to be happy if you're a heat fan with what he did it seems like they've been able no i don't even think it seems like they have been able to produce so many more contributing level players than other teams out of things that required very little in terms of salary cap assets to do and that's such a huge advantage for them that most teams just don't get anything from and they get you know tyler johnson's was in a largely similar way him josh richardson was a second round pick so that's not even exactly the same thing but like that allows them to spend yeah. more money Magruder, on these white yeah, yeah i mean those are yeah yeah all, all pretty impressive Magruder didn't play i don't think and uh yeah white i mean he's 24 so he's not like some super high upside guys but as long as he can hit threes and like put the ball on the floor a little bit and he the way he defends he could be a player absolutely minnesota's quick because the only guy that would have been really of interest for them was justin Patton, and justin Patton didn't play yeah so... he's got that fifth metatar bro- broken foot fifth metatarsal so bucks here <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Bucks here. By the way, we are in production now. We've got hats that should be available very shortly. Our company has been a little bit slow with the inventory. They're transitioning over apparently to a new inventory management system. So that's going to be a little bit slow to get your stuff, but hopefully it'll be pretty quick. And then we're also going to start with our t-shirts just providing, I think they can do this. I'm still working through logistics, but a random saying on the back of the t-shirt in addition to Capspace, Bucks here will certainly be one of them but basically if you buy a few hopefully you'll get, you know for each batch of 100 we'll have like four different sayings that are like commonly on the podcast but anyway back to bucks here dj wilson about as advertised i thought the most impressive thing that i saw from him was his handle is really really impressive both in transition and in isos i mean he dribbles it like a guard he doesn't dribble defensively in transition he's got a nice behind the back move he, he 
just has a very tight handle aside from that didn't see a ton that i loved other than just where he is at athletically wait you're you're saying there's a a a bucks player who's probably going to play a big man position that struggles with defensive rebounding and being out muscled on the on the interior i'm shocked oh god they they just got their asses kicked physically dj i mean that was the knock on him coming out of michigan and and he hasn't fixed that yet he definitely looked kind of soft out there if he's going to be playing the four even hit played some five after thon maker was shut down after two games and yeah when he had to go against montreal harrell he just like what had no idea how to deal with him like that was just a man just too intense for him too strong was just throwing him around like a ragdoll so he's got to get tougher fortunately for him the game has changed a little bit and right but, I, mean, and I should mention looks, that that's not yeah. a not what I, I didn't mean that as a devastating criticism it would have been 10 yeah. years ago but i think the bucks are broadly making the right calculus in terms of where the league is going yeah that if you if somebody is not a great defensive rebounder they're not going to fret about it too much uh i mean he wasn't he had 16 percent defensive rebound rate which isn't horrendous that's like okay for a small forward you know not good for a power forward but again he was playing even center sometimes so it definitely wasn't good i liked his ability to put the ball on the floor off of closeouts uh his three-pointer from the nba line doesn't look quite comfortable there yet he's kind of got this slingshot delivery really had to get his legs into it kind of a flat shot shot only six out of 22 on threes also wasn't really getting the fouling only had eight free throw attempts in five games did have seven blocks that's one of the things that he can really get up and protect the rim a little bit that's one of the things that people like about him that combination of potential of skill level and then being able to protect the rim and be a switch guy i think he also tried to get into the isolation game that looked okay in terms of just like how comfortable he was with it ball didn't really go in there as much either you know you'd go through a couple of sweet looking dribble moves and then and like miss along too um so i think he's a guy who has some potential i'm not saying that he was a bad pick by any means at that level he was number what 17 he was number 17 so i think he can be something down the road but just in terms of his toughness his ability to kind of just do the little things that you need to do to stay on the floor i wouldn't expect him to play much this season i think we should go from there to thon he he was thon maker you know when he was out there he uh his his skill set offensively is still unusual for a center and he can take advantage of some of the more groundbound guys in that way i still think he's intriguing with the ball in his hands it's not something you want to utilize that often it's the same problem we've talked about it with a couple other draft guys this year where it's like yeah it's 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 fine but it's not not in a huge way and then he defensively if he's not getting manhandled i think that his defensive value gets a lot better because his instincts are good it's just that sometimes he can get he can get a little bit frazzled in that way just because of the opponent yeah i i, I thought he sucked i mean i i've always liked him he played well in the playoffs i'm probably gonna put that as a little bit more significant than in the summer league but he played two games he was four out of 18 had zero offensive rebounds and one of the things that's so good about thon is that he plays harder than his competition normally you know that's why he was part of why he's so intriguing and he did, he did not succeed in playing harder than his competition in these two games he's getting manhandled on the offensive glass in that game against cleveland in particular like eddie Tavares, and, and they had a bunch of athletes on that team were just throwing him around throwing dj wilson around like those guys couldn't get a defensive rebound it, it was pretty ugly and then i think most of what he was doing was just pick and popping didn't have the jump shot working very well 
didn't really have anyone on this team who could set him up very well either you said you like him with the ball in his hands I don't think that that as a guy who could create I don't see that for him maybe as a guy who can drive close out and make a pass he had some moments there in the NBA season so it just I mean it doesn't really mean anything but he was terrible like I, I think it was pretty clear there and I'm sure he was very disappointed in his own performance and I think so, maybe I don't know what his mindset was but it's possible that he came in thinking like all right you know I started in the playoffs I'm gonna come back here I'm gonna dominate and just had didn't have that had the mindset like that he's gonna score a bunch of points and stuff instead of just like I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing that makes me good which is playing harder than people defending and hitting shots I want to give you a, a stat that I think will amuse you Rashad Vaughn is six months younger than DJ Wilson yeah, Vaughn, only 20, uh, turns 21 in the fall. He was one of the youngest guys in that draft class in 2015. He took a step forward here, I thought, because at least he was able to do something that was good, which we just we hadn't seen at any level, summer league, regular season at all in his career. He worked a lot as the ball handler in pick and roll. And the best part of what he was able to do was get to the basket and finish. Mostly a right-hand finisher, but he had some nice touch finishes. Floaters got some good extension. He was able to go to his left and then pull up for jump shots in the lane. He's not incredibly explosive, but he still was able to get there at least. And so I also like the fact that he took some really deep threes and he hit a few, six out of 20 on threes, but 25 out of 40 on twos, which again, we didn't see him as a guy who's gonna be able to be efficient from two-point range long long way to go of course he only had seven assists in five games he was working as really the main guy operating in pick and roll since Gary Payton as we'll get to was not really effective there so it's a step forward for him I'm not gonna say especially in this his third summer league that now I think he's gonna be a quality player but he at least showed something and had a couple of really nice games so slightly encouraging at least for him at this point. I think in some ways he benefits from just in my, in my mind from being so much better than he was the last two years where he was just awful but he did look good you know he, he had some moments out there and I think that he can fit into you know if he can try to blossom into a like a 10 minute a game guy who knows what he does and then works hard enough at his weaknesses to to mitigate them as best he can that's that's a tolerable player I think that he did enough at this point that I would probably pick up his fourth year option which I had been very skeptical about before because I just didn't see anything from him but let's talk about Gary Payton the second I liked Gary a lot at Oregon State just an athlete a guy who works hard but I feel like the NBA game has passed him by because there are two basic things that a guard should be able to do at the NBA level is they should be able to either hit open shots or create offense for themselves or others with the ball in hands. And he does a lot of other things well, but if he can't do either of those, it's just hard to find a place. Yeah, two points and only nine possessions as the pick and roll ball handler. His jump shot is still inadequate, even just shooting a spot up set shot that it takes him a while to get off. Only two out of six on three pointers during the summer league. That's totally inadequate. Uh, and I mean, where he would have to, what he would have to be is sort of like Eric Snow for the modern day. People remember him. He didn't have three point range, but at least got to where he could hit an open kick out two, not a shot that guards take anymore these days but he's got a long way to go on his jumper already 24 i think he's unbelievable defensively he had 13 steals in four games his athleticism is really solid but he's not really like doesn't have like a great knack for finishing around the rim you know he wasn't getting like a ton of garbage buckets inside or or cutting or anything like that i mean and again it's not like they had a ton of passing on this team of guys who are going to set him up 
up either but disappointing in the sense that i mean not disappointing that i expected to see a ton but disappointing in the sense that i really would like him to become a player because i do like his athleticism and his defense but he's just not there yet offensively my hope for him is that he can go abroad like to a good team go abroad to a team that can give him responsibility and maybe in like three or four years he's just gotten a lot better playing at a level that is more fitting his talent and then he can come over at 28 29 and just be a more complete guy who can be a rotation player and we've seen that in the past and i want to see more of that in the future sterling brown from proviso east high school in maywood illinois right down the road from where i went to high school there we go used to used to go play pickup basketball in maywood every now and again it's proviso east is uh, a great program doc rivers went there michael finley anyway enough of that chicago high school basketball lesson brown another one of these guys we've seen a lot of them kind of a big body likes to use that body but like can't really jump that well and i think that was one of his big problems is just he can't jump when he gets to the rim he doesn't have any kind of explosion got a lot of shots blocked and wasn't able to get to the foul line either i mean that usually these big body guys are better at that only had five free throw attempts uh but he did have nine steals which is good he never turned it over only had five turnovers in his five games and he shot the ball well on three pointers six out of 15 but you'd like to see him get more attempts up that was kind of the story of his college career that he actually shot a wonderful percentage he's 45 percent from three in his college career but just didn't take quite that many attempts and so i think his path is obvious he's going to be hit some shots I mean, he can work off the dribble and pick and roll like he's got a nice handle can get to the rim a little bit can maneuver and pick and roll but just doesn't really have the ability to create a quality shot for himself out of pick and roll and so i think he's going to be a spot up guy hopefully can improve the volume and the versatility of his jump shot and then he's got that big body so he could provide some versatility defensively that's the vision for him i was admittedly very unfamiliar with him he i i hadn't watched much of ojale at smu i hadn't watched much of sterling brown at smu and the thing that surprised me was just that the ball was in his hands more than i expected it was also kind of the way their team was constructed to a point but you know he was he was somewhat capable again like in the in the realm where it's how are you going to use this because he's not so good with the ball in his hands that you're going to take it out of somebody else because nba teams now have four and five guys hopefully who are better at that than he is but you know there are certain circumstances where you know you get the ball and you can attack a closeout in those circumstances i think he can do a good job and as you said you know shooting 45 percent on threes in his college at smu he'll get the as long as he can do something you know uh, the the pro version of that then he'll get those closeouts but he's gonna have to do i think he's gonna have to add a little more depth to his game overall but if you pick a guy in the 40s that's okay i will get to one of the all-stars of the summer league and probably check diallo and the pelicans in a moment but first this from our friends at thrive market thrivemarket.com is a game changer when it comes to living healthy it's generally pretty hard because it takes time if you're gonna cook at home and if you want to go to an expensive grocery store like whole foods for example it's expensive Thrive Market is the new convenient way to get high quality, natural, organic groceries, healthy snacks, supplements, foods for 25 to 50% less than even discount stores. It's like Costco meets Whole Foods and it's all online. The way it works is you pay $60 a year and you get wholesale pricing all year long. The average customer saves about $40 per order and they in fact guarantee that you will save more than your membership fee in your first two orders. They really want you to try it out and get that savings so much so that they will let you 
test drive the savings for free before you buy your membership. So they have 400,000 members. Discover why all of them believe in Thrive Market at thrivemarket.com. It's never been easier to live healthy. Here's how you test drive it for free for 30 days and get an extra 20% off as well. Go to thrivemarket.com slash capspace. That's a URL that lets them know that you came from us, of course, as well. Great way to support the program by going to that URL. That's an extra 20% off at thrivemarket.com slash capspace. That's thrivemarket.com slash capspace. Really, really impressive what Czech Diallo has been able to do in terms of his offensive game, considering where he was just barely playing at Kansas 15 months ago. And I've given Calipari and Kentucky crap that we've seen their guys look so much more diverse in terms of their offensive games once they left there. Bam, you know, even though he missed many of his shots, he had more Carl Anthony Towns, of course. Bill Self needs a lot of that too. I mean, Joel Embiid had so much more, even though he missed time due to injury and everything else. And Diallo, just not only not only the fact that he played, that he, he shined in those minutes, but the depth of what he could do was so much more than I had anticipated. Let's talk about some of that. Uh, The thing that I like the most, again, this is another one of these guys similar to Bam, where he's moving beyond what his role is probably going to be. I mean, especially in the near term when you have other high usage bigs like Davis and Cousins on your team. But I really liked his extension finishing around the rim. He's got big hands. He's able to extend the ball out, avoid getting it blocked, get to a jump hook shot as well, get good extension on a jump hook shot, showed a decent left hand. He had a lefty dunk, a couple of nice lefty finishes around the rim. And then he also had a mid-range jump shot that was working well also, where he was able to catch and shoot. If you kind of think of what Serge Ibaka's role was early in Oklahoma City, those are some of the shots that he was taking, long twos, but quick release when he just catches it and doesn't try to make some big move or a decision and he's just he's open and he shoots it he did well getting into the post he actually did score well in terms of percentage but he was hitting some tough shots I just, I don't think that's really going to be a, a part of his game yet in the NBA I could say that probably for literally every person who ever tries to post up in summer league <laughs> it's it's pretty close unless you're like someone who is like a top five pick or something like that uh but I really liked what he's able to do in transition. That's one of the things that he's great at, of course, with running the floor. And I mean, he was putting up like 25-point games, very efficient, 62% true shooting. Uh, he's not a passer at all. Like once he puts the ball on the floor, he's shooting, he only had three assists. Uh, and he missed a lot of open guys. Like in transition, you know, he would be on like a two-on-one and like not pass it to the guy and go up and take a more difficult shot. So uh, I think in general, though, you just have to be pretty encouraged. He was someone that I like coming out of school. I mean, generally, I think guys, who are well regarded in high school and then just like don't get to play that much in college like those are a type of guy that you can really lock in on and he was certainly one of those guys I was very impressed by him at the hoop summit and also in the McDonald's game before he went to Kansas I don't remember all the data on it but I I think I heard something years ago about the value of RSCI ranking rel even the kind of separate from that just because the guys who are talents who kind of stick out in high school like that they can get buried it's another reason why forcing guys to go to college for years and always the greatest thing in the world and it reinforced to me how strange new orleans roster is like getting diallo where they did is certainly a great value i'm not knocking you know that that's great but i don't know where really where he fits in with this team especially considering they probably want to separate davis and cousins at least a little bit they're both gonna be playing plenty so they'll play plenty together so i don't know where he fits in but having good players is always a benefit yeah and it is his fit in the nba i think we said hey this guy has center skills in a power forwards body 
He also just looked stronger and bigger as well, which I thought was also encouraging. Guys were kind of bouncing off him when he would go up to finish inside. But now at least I think he's getting to the point where his skill level is good enough to, I don't think he's taken threes yet, but he can at least like shoot some jumpers as a four, work more as a traditional four. Like he's getting at least to that type of a skill level and that makes it a lot easier for him. We didn't see a ton of it defensively. You know, I think the the other thing that we're really going to need to see from him is his ability to switch defensively. That was not on display quite as much. I mean, that's how well he defends. Obviously, that's always much tougher to figure out in summer league for some of these guys uh but that's going to be a key for him to get minutes but because it's new orleans guys are going to get injured he'll probably get a chance to play right and i i think that he could i mean it'd be better if they had more spacing at the two and the three giving him a few minutes with anthony davis as the, those guys that are powerful in center could absolutely work Quinn Cook and Axel Tupin both played. Cook scored extremely well. He was their main option off the drill, but they both got released today. Uh, actually, uh, well, we're recording this the day before, but they, they got released on Tuesday. Both of them had guarantees that were coming up in the low $100,000. And maybe it's possible that they could be re-signed, uh, but it seemed like those guys were not really interested in pushing their guarantee date back as we saw Pat Connaughton do today. Uh, but we don't need to talk about them, at least for now, because they are not Pelicans. New York didn't really have anyone unless you want to talk about Marshall Plumley, which I don't particularly or Chess and Randall uh, OKC also uh, Terrence Ferguson still has this weird thing going on where he supposedly hasn't gotten clearance yet from FIBA I talked about that with Fred Katz a little bit on his podcast that came out on Tuesday so nobody I was uh, too fired up to see on OKC uh, how about the Orlando Magic with Jonathan Isaac so Isaac had a he had a kind of a I mean I guess it's kind of a, the way summer league can go where he was a little bit shaky in his first game just kind of getting his sea, getting his sea legs and then I thought his best game was his second and there's a lot still to like with Isaac he was my favorite of that forward crop and I don't know that he's still my favorite because Tatum was a little bit more impressive than I thought he would be but the I I, I still can see Isaac's spot on a successful team more clearly than I can with Tatum yeah Isaac Tatum and Josh Jackson are all such different players Isaac only played three games. He, I think, hurt a hip about halfway through the third game. But I thought that just the most encouraging encouraging thing about him was just how he looked out there. I mean, part of it's because he has like this tall hair, but overall, like he just looked so much bigger than all the other guys who are out there. And certainly he's got that 9-1 standing reach. He had 11 offensive rebounds in only 55 minutes and had a few times where he was just playing volleyball. You know, he, he got blocked once and then like the ball was going around. He was just able to like kind of tap it in without even jumping. And he's like almost right at the rim. I thought the size that he showed, his rebounding was really good that's one of the things that we really liked about him uh I thought he played really hard as well the jump shot he was able to get it off I like that he was able to create space he has a good first step he's got a skill level to take a couple of dribbles or create space jumper wasn't quite dropping that well but he still I like the quickness that he has to create space off the dribble or in triple threat uh I also thought that he looked a little bit more explosive off of one foot than he did in college where he really just had zero explosion whatsoever he had a couple of decent finishes there he also was working as a four was comfortable operating in pick and pop and that's is for positive things he definitely though needs to get stronger and tougher like there are a few times where he'd kind of just like get knocked off balance and then like someone would almost get a jump ball by just like trying to grab the ball out of his hand like he's got to get a lot stronger there but overall i was very pleased with what i saw from him. he also had five blocks in
in his three games, if I didn't mention that yet. Yeah, my, my dream for him is to eventually be able to play some five, and that's going to take a lot of physical development, or just, just basically embracing the weirdness of it and, and deciding that there are certain elements of a center game that he's just not going to do. But I like his skill level. I like where he's going. And what what do you think of Awundu, who actually ended up getting more money at, I think he was, he got more money than the players picked in the second round ahead of him. He was not a guy who looked very good by the statistical translations, and he was awful statistically. 38% true shooting. Most damning, he only had two assists in 110 minutes. This is a guy who's supposed to be sort of a bigger guy with some length who can run pick and rolls and set guys up a little bit. Only two out of eight on threes as well, so not a ton there. And he shot 10 out of 33 overall and had 10 turnovers in that time. He wasn't good out of the pick and roll either. He had two points on nine possessions running the, the pick and roll. So didn't see a ton from him to really get excited about he's 22 out of kansas state so a guy that you would hope could have not just like a completely disastrous statistical performance like that why don't we move on to portland here since i were a little bit out of alphabetical order but i was able to finish up watching some film of them i watched their game against memphis so i had a little better idea of them we'll that was a fun game yeah we'll get to phoenix and philly and all the all the rest a little later jake layman it was interesting neil olshay actually went on the broadcast and was talking about Lehman. He said, yeah, he's overrated as a shooter and he's underrated in terms of his floor game. Lehman, you remember, famously hit like six, either five or six threes in garbage time in that first game of the season against the Warriors and then like missed like his next 20 attempts or something like that. Overall, he was 14 out of 43 from 333%, but didn't really do well on two pointers. He shot 37 to 109, 34% overall. So he was right around hitting one out of every three two pointers. Not a guy guy known for his passing uh he can go back door every once in a while and get up for a dunk off of one foot but overall he's not really doing a ton off the dribble to create space i mean really what's gonna have to happen for him he's got to get better defensively he had a, a few defensive moments in one-on-one d but the ball has just got to go in the basket for this guy and, and it hasn't yet i don't really see where he becomes something more than like a I, I don't know if that counts as being a curio where he's more of a novelty because he, he does have these talent you know he's more athletic than I think some people give him credit for it's probably because yeah. of his it's got, it's got good length good size on the wing like six nine but yeah it's just it's kind of to figure out where it's going to go but at the same point guys at that level especially when you have him for the minimum why, why the heck not a guy that is getting paid substantially more well not substantially more more than the minimum 10th pick Zach Collins the Blazers trade up to get him gave up two picks you know in terms of the in terms of the the trade value chart that was a lot to give up and with Collins somebody who has only started one year out of his last six because he was actually at he played high school in Vegas and was actually behind Steven Zimmerman and a couple other guys that and then Karnowski of course at Gonzaga the, I hadn't watched much of him when Gonzaga and kind of an idea that had been kind of floated to me was the kind of well if it all works with him you know like that he, he can do a lot of these kind of interesting interesting things and so it was like if that can be really be fully realized he can be a really talented one heck of a player and there were elements of that that i saw but the problem is he's gonna need to hit on so many of those different elements to make it all work let's start with the good he is an instinctive defender in some ways he had six steals in three games he ended up having i think a thigh contusion is why he had to get shut down six steals and six blocks that's pretty solid i mean he's got a lot of mobility especially if he's a center 
I thought that he looked comfortable taking pick and pop jumpers, even from three, although he really jumps very far forward, especially on his three pointers. So, you know, if you think of kind of like Chandler Parsons form, like he's kind of like that. He lands like with his legs kicked way out in front of him, like three feet ahead of where he jumps from. So that's not incredibly encouraging. His face up game, his post up game, he was not successful at overall six out of 23 in three games. He shot one out of six on threes. Also, I wanted to see a little bit more from him on the offensive glass than we saw he also was playing with traditional bigs with swanigan a fair amount of the time so he was playing more of a stretch role he also had a couple of really nice backdoor passes although he flubbed a few of those as well this whole idea of him being a guy who's going to get into the post and score or is going to face up and go by guys and score i'm not buying that at all i also didn't really like his finishing around the rim doesn't get a ton of extension on his hook shots or other finishes around the rim does get fouled a fair amount though which is good but he doesn't look like the kind of guy where it's like all right you dump it off to this guy and it's going down or it's going to be a foul every time i think he struggled with bringing the ball down getting stripped struggled when he had bodies on him to go up strong without really gathering and then he would get stripped again I think if he could be a center defensively with his mobility, block enough shots, I mean, the steals are encouraging. That's where I think it's going to have to happen for him. You know, if he's just kind of an average defender, I think he's probably going to be a disappointment with that number 10 pick. If he can get to being a really solid defender, I think he has that potential with his instincts and mobility. Then all of a sudden, a guy who could hit some shots, maybe get up for an alley-oop around the rim every now and again and could defend. Now you've got a player. Along those lines, the the better passes he threw, especially on a couple of back doors, that showed a level of vision and recognition that you don't usually see from a guy his age, especially not somebody who will not run an offense. You know, he's, he's more not he's in a very different phase of, of everything. And if he can kind of show that same kind of recognition defensively, and you said you mentioned the blocks and seals, and that's certainly another sign of that like there there are these indications that he could be value in that way but also the possibility of his face-up game more more specifically than his post-up game if he has to play the four that starts really dropping off because when you slide down a position especially now in the nba you're just dealing with these guys that are so much more adept at handling what those what they can do and it, it stops being a competitive advantage so I want to keep an eye on that and just where he fits in. And I think that ties in to a degree with the guy who was taken much later than him in the first round, Caleb Swanigan, who I feel like what makes him made him such a natural fit for Summer League is that he knows exactly what he is. And there are not many guys in Summer League that can stop that. Yeah, it's just a question of if what he is is going to be useful at the NBA level. He was another one of these guys where it's like, all right, he had like a couple of big scoring games and everyone's like, oh man, this guy had an unbelievable summer league. And then he looked down and he's like, all right, you know, 513 true shooting, not amazing. He actually did take 22 three-pointers. They played a ton of games. I think they played eight games because they made it to the championship. But that's a fair amount of threes to, to get up. Uh, his post-up scoring, he was able to go through guys at times. He definitely deserves so much credit for how much he has cut up his body. I mean, he actually looks to have some definition. Like he, he doesn't look slow out there anymore for a big man, which is from where he came from i mean even two years ago you know i know there's a story of how he used to weigh like over 350 pounds as a youth but then even at the hoop summit in terms of his leaping his mobility nowhere near where he's at now the post-ups doesn't really you know he'll use his body he likes to get a position he'll shoot a turnaround every once in a while likes to back in had a lot of turnovers trying to post up though i don't think that that's going to be a massive asset at the nba level 
but he does have a lot of strength and he is able to especially in summer league able to go right through guys i love just the aggressiveness with which he gets post position and so a lot of times he was able to post up hard they would front him and then that would open things up for zach collins to come to the free throw line and miss an open jumper (laughs) uh but he just ducks in when he tries to post up he does it very aggressively and i think that's something that if he can get those kind of cheap buckets like right under the basket getting a foot in the lane for his post-ups that's gonna be useful now he has the same problem with collins and that he's a 4.5 right now he can't i don't trust him to get out on the floor and guard three-point shooters and if you want to post him up yeah i'll have the advantage posting up against fours but is there really going to be enough spacing when you've also got a center on the floor maybe he could be an okay pairing with collins if collins can become a good shooter but i'm still skeptical even though he deserves a lot of credit for evolving his game i still think the player type it's very difficult to be that type of player and really be a successful big man in today's NBA. What very well could happen this season with him is that he'll play in garbage time and just tear up guys. And then Blazers fans will be sitting there going, why isn't he playing more? Look at what he's doing. And then when he gets in there against NBA rotation caliber big men, go, oh yeah, there's there's a lot to do. And I like Swan again. I thought that he's he plays with energy at, at a good degree. And as you said, he's worked so much on his body. He moved. I was floored because the first game I watched of his, I was on the baseline, you know, right off the court and he was moving so much better than I remembered and that was exciting it's exciting because when you see somebody who has as much natural talent as he does and his body was holding him back you get excited to kind of see where he goes from here but I just I going back you know 10-15 years with those players who are just that one of their advantages is that they're they're bigger and a little bit more skilled than college guys the transition like you can think about there were the people who were caping for Jared Sullinger and it's not fair because you know they both dealt with with kind of body issues in that way but they had similar advantages that they used in college and it's just hard to make that work you need more to your game than that yeah now if he gets to the point where he can really be hitting these jump shots then i think that changes a little bit and i'm not saying i mean mean, considering where he was picked i don't want to like shit all over this guy because he had a nice summer league absolutely i mean he looked looked better than collins most of the time yeah i mean and he also actually had 18 assists as well in eight games that's very good as well so and, and that's something that the bigs in portland certainly have the opportunity to do yeah, my issue is so, more you with know, the process I mean, of could taking be, him rather than him. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think it's definitely the case where, I mean, if you can get any kind of a contributor, and I, I think he could be a contributor potentially at the NBA level. And you mentioned Solinger. I mean, he was a guy who was a, a quality player for a time before he really just injuries and weight issues really derailed him. But if he could be that sort of a player, uh, I don't think he quite has like the touch or the skill level either inside or outside that Solinger has, but he could be a much better defensive player than Solinger if he stays in shape which he seems very committed to so that's probably enough on him another guy who I'm kind of I've always really been down on as an NBA player because it seemed like the way a big part of him getting into the league and getting selected to begin with Pat Connaughton was the 44 inch vertical which people still talk about like people were still talking about how he set like the record at the combine with this 44 inch vertical no he did not set the record they fucking mismeasured it his they had his 
is standing reach at like seven foot ten when the guy's six five there's they misreasured his standing reach and therefore they with the way they calculate the vertical is they subtract how high he's able to touch from his standing reach and so now everyone thinks he had this 44 inch vertical he didn't ever have a 44 inch vertical if he even had a 38 inch vertical he's nowhere near that athletic he just looks like a guy out there athletically and now that's nothing against him i mean i good for him to have exploited that to get what might be now a third year in the nba he pushed his guarantee date back today uh till the end of august but he's shown very very little over the last three years in total he shot 37 percent in summer league was no better this year he was two of ten on threes eight out of 22 overall in his three games only one free throw attempt only six rebounds did have 13 assists which was good but he just he doesn't really make shots that much he can't really do that much he's not really a quality defensive option the times where he's tried to play have not gone very well in the actual NBA and you know I mean I think it's at this point I probably would just try to see if I could do better with that roster slot Portland has a few issues like that like I think Shabazzman Napier is I mean he didn't play in summer league but I just haven't seen enough from him to say oh yeah you definitely need to give him a roster spot too and now that they gave away might be too strong a word now that they gave yeah they they gave away they gave away a, a rotation player now in crab for a guy who already got cut they need players to actually contribute and it the, those guys at the guard positions and the wings might not actually be on their roster right now so you, they need to actually churn this a little bit it's not just like put a bunch of guys kind of at the bottom of their rotation that aren't really going to play especially when they have so many spots tied up in big men they actually need to have players on the wing that can contribute on this team yeah and maybe we'll see them try at the moon now that they have a little more breathing space to bring in an, an anthony morrow or a brandon rush type or randy foy or something like that who probably won't help them that much but there are some options in theory ian clark might be someone as well though they he can't really play very well with McCollum or Lillard. They want someone with a little more size. In any event, yeah, it's uh, they really need to change that 44-inch vertical uh, on NBA.com. So let's get to Philly, starting with Markel Fultz. Danny, I'll just ask you a specific question. We saw plenty of him, all three of his games, in fact, or all 2.5 of his games before he went down with that sprained ankle that thankfully was not a high ankle sprain. He was going up to try to take off off of one foot and block a shot and sprained it. And do you think he lived up to his billing? Would you say that? Or or would you say he was a disappointment? He lived up to it to me, but not every second of every game. But in some ways, that was part of his billing, too. I mean, look look at his history in Washington. He would have these stretches where he didn't dominate as much as he thought he could. And then you would see him just kill it for like a five, 10 minute stretch. And I think it was the second game he played where he just absolutely took over down the stretch in the fourth quarter, was phenomenal, could get to a spot. Nobody could prevent him from that he was making tough shots also had some nice passes there and i i thought he really lived up to like when we watch footage of him and everything else like his his ability to create his sense of kind of where his teammates are everything like that i i feel like he's going to be a very good player but it is going to take some time yeah and we have to remember with Fultz too he wasn't going through the competitive workout circuit the way a lot of guys are right so he's not going to necessarily be in peak game condition even if you're working 
taking on in your own. There just is not that same sort of urgency as when you're going up against guys in workouts and flying around to teams the way a lot of these guys are. It has been a while for game action. Remember, too, he didn't play in the NCAA tournament. He was shut down towards the end of the year. Really been since February since he'd played competitively. He definitely has to get in better shape. Uh, there were times, I mean, especially you could see it sitting courtside in Utah where he was really exhausted at times. Like there was a, a time in the second game, like middle of the first quarter where he, he drove, then got pretty tired, kind of sauntered back on D, then gave up a three that missed, came back down and was so tired that he airballed a three and just you know, looked very exhausted. He did try to give more effort defensively out on the floor trying to deny on dho's do stuff like that he's gonna have to get obviously a lot better at those things i think he lived up to expectations offensively didn't get to the foul line that much but i thought his nba3 looked solid he took some difficult attempts he was six out of 16 didn't get to the foul line as much as you would have hoped also really he's got to learn what he can get away with in terms of turnovers he tried to sneak into some small spaces maybe more than was really possible but the moves were there the behind the backs crossovers live dribble spin moves you saw that kind of magic with the ball in his hands at times I also thought he only had seven assists but he was setting guys up and they were just missing as well does have like a little bit more of a hitch in his shot than I recalled seeing in college but he looked comfortable with the NBA three so I don't I'm not too worried about that i do think though that what's really going to make the difference between him being you know just kind of a solid guy and you know a real big star is that jump shot is he going to be able to be an elite jump shooter if he's not then he doesn't quite have the juice to really get to the bucket and finish over guys if he can get into the mid-range if he can pull up if he can hit threes get better at shooting spot ups as well come off of screens when he's off the ball as well if he could be an elite jump shooter then he's a big star if he's not if he's only kind of an average jump shooter then you know he, he might not live up to what everyone hopes he'll be as the number one pick although i think he'll be a solid player either way it was exciting to watch you watch Jonah Bolden because also it was just exciting to watch Jonah Bolden because he just exists in a very different place from a lot of NBA players. The way that I've characterized it during summer league was he's like if a normal person was all of a sudden gifted the, the like ability to be an NBA power forward and elite athleticism and all of the good and all of the bad that comes with that of like taking ridiculous shots, trying for amazing blocks and everything. But he's so much fun. Yeah, the biggest thing that popped about him was that athleticism, especially his shot blocking was outstanding. There were times when dudes would go up and he would just swallow them whole. They had no chance. And he has a high skill level, shoots the three, shoots maybe a few too many threes, especially shoots too many long twos. Difficult, Jay-Z. He's got a quick release, but he definitely takes some contested attempts that are a little too thirsty that he's going to have to edit out of his game. I don't see him as being like some unbelievable three-point shooter, but I think he could be a threat out there. He's got kind of a flat shot. When it goes in, it never goes in like quite cleanly. You know, he doesn't get like a perfect switch, but still enough that he's going to be a threat out there. And then the other thing that it really impressed me about him as well was what he was able to do putting the ball on the floor, either in transition, driving off of closeouts. He actually had some very nice passes when he wasn't just trying to take a bad mid-range too when he really put his head up he's able to find guys and that was impressive as well uh he also could stand to improve his footwork off the catch he's kind of shooting a little bit off balance when he's taking some of these jump shots uh stats wise he was 11 out of 35 on threes and then 14 out of 33 on twos you see all those bad long twos 
that he was taking and i thought he was effective as well as a switch defender definitely someone who should i think be in the nba this year but the sixers have a full roster and so now he's actually going to play with uh, maccabi tel aviv this year it'll be very interesting to see what kind of a season he has for them for selfish reasons it's disappointing i thought he deserved a spot on nba roster but the sixers are in an unusual predicament just because of how many other things they have committed with first round picks and everything else like that and so we'll, we'll see how it works out somebody who's getting one of their roster spots was a draft pick from last year Furkan Korkmaz who I wasn't particularly impressed by but those kind of like swingman shooter types that are coming into the NBA they often have an awkward adjustment period because everything is different so I think that I I, I wasn't super impressed but I I see a little bit that could eventually work out. Korkmaz is very thin he's got a pretty narrow shouldered frame as well you don't expect him really to put on he's got some length and size but he's definitely a pure two all the way guarding threes he would just get mauled i think that'll always be the case in his career i like his bonds he's got some could get up for some rebounds he had one rebound in particular that i thought was really impressive okay floater game i like what he does on the driving kick he makes good decisions actually had 15 assists which for a guy who's not playing on the ball in summer league is actually very solid. And he's got some style too. He had like a little slick behind the back pass to a shooter at one point. So he's capable of playing within the team concept. Definitely a gunner for sure. He has a little bit of that mentality. I wouldn't put him as a guy where I'm like, okay, this is a 40% three-point shooter, you know, JJ Redick type of shooter. I think he's more of kind of a volume guy and he's capable of shooting coming off screens going in either direction. When he puts the ball on the floor, I like to go left a little bit more and then pull up for the J. He didn't get to the rim a ton, but had some moments where he was able to cut to the basket and get passes find guys uh, driving to the rim off of closeouts in pick and roll i wouldn't expect him to necessarily be that successful it doesn't have quite the handle that you really need for advanced operation in the pick and roll i think it'll be more of a guy who drives in on closeouts defensively he knows where to be at times but also just the the physical tools the intensity kind of lacking i wouldn't expect him to contribute much if at all this year probably will spend a lot of time in delaware for the sixers but he looked about like what i would have expected i mean as a guy who showed some things who was the 26th pick you know you can't complain about that at this point I was actually more concerned about uh, Luau Cabarot because we've had a chance to see him where he's had the adjustment into the NBA. And I still like his physical talent. You know, I think he can move well on the floor, can kind of, you know, not not switch in terms of handling stronger guys, but in terms of just physically covering the space. But outside of that sort of basic point, I don't really see where he's providing value at this stage in his career unless he gets a lot better. I think he'll actually, I mean, he's got to hit shots, but I think he can get to be, you know, a 35, 36, 37% three-point shooter in the NBA. He took some deep attempts, eight out of 22 on threes in the summer league. Wasn't as effective from two. He does have some ability to pass as well. He's a very instinctual cutter, which I like about him. He got to the rim a reasonable amount. I mean, he can run a pick and roll in a pinch. Again, not a guy who's like, you know, some incredible, you know, put the guy in jail on your back and, and go to work type of guy. He was able to get to the rim, was not able to finish it. It had took a lot of tough attempts finishing and wasn't able to get many of those to go down. The big thing, so I think he could be adequate offensively in time. I think the big problem for me is just what is he going to be defensively like it for his skill set offensively i think he needs to be an above average defensive player i don't think he is there yet he got worked by dante exum and donovan mitchell didn't really have much in the way of flashes defensively not a guy who was you like always really getting into people or anything like that 
So the hope is that he could be a 3D type of guy on the wing. I think the three part can get there. I'm more concerned about the D part at this point. And I didn't expect it to be that way, personally. I thought the D part was going to be more stable and then this shot would come and go, but that has been the way it was. The other player that I think is of note for Philly was Alex Poitras. For those of you who want to dig up things that are vaguely embarrassing for me on my Real GM draft stuff, I loved Alex Poitras when he was coming out of his freshman year Kentucky I thought he was going to fit in the new era of NBA he was kind of that could defend both forward positions pretty strong moved well and his his first of all he became a little bit worse as a defender when he stayed at Kentucky second of all his shot never came around and so he just fell off the radar and I thought he looked closer to towards ACL as well towards that that's true and he looked closer to the that realized vision than I thought. And it kind of it, it was very encouraging to me as somebody who's kind of like, well, see, this is what I was going for originally. Yeah, I think he looks recovered athletically from that torn ACL. Gets up for some pretty impressive dunks as on alley oops as a finisher along the baseline in transition. I thought his three-pointer, he looked pretty confident. He struggled a little bit with a a hip injury throughout, but still had some pretty good moments. He shot uh, 40% on 77 attempts on threes in the G League last year before he got signed late in the season by the Sixers. He was playing for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants and the Pacers system before that. The other thing I liked about him was that he looked good as a switch defender was able to do that against some of the good guards that were playing in the Utah Summer League. So I liked what I saw from him. I'm not going to say he's going to be some big star, but if he hits shots, you know, he could be maybe a poor man's Marvin Williams type of player. Let's talk about the Suns. And we alluded to it before, so I think this is a good way of framing the question. Based on what we saw from Josh Jackson and the fact that Kyrie Irving did not put Phoenix on his list of teams, would you have him as untouchable in those negotiations? If they were a little further along to the point where I thought, all right, if they get Irving, they're going to be in the playoffs and like a solid playoff team, or if they were in the East for that matter, I would say I would absolutely trade Jackson for Irving. But I just don't think that getting Irving for two years and then also considering the youth of some of these guys, the fact that with Booker and Irving in the backcourt, they're never, ever, ever going to stop anybody. I wouldn't do it just because I don't think it makes sense for the franchise. But I think if it was a team in a different situation, I think I would probably rather have two years of Irving than Josh Jackson. And that's actually, I thought that's not a knock on Jackson. I think he's going to be a solid player. I actually have a higher opinion of him after Summer League than I did coming in, although my opinion was certainly lower than many people. I still don't think he has the superstar upside that people think he he might. Part of the issue with him, it's very interesting. Like he just, he loves to take a ton of mid-rangers and likes to shoot jumpers off the dribble. He's definitely trying to prove that he can shoot. And he'll actually hit some tough attempts. He actually shot better off the dribble because he was very dependent the way he shoots it on upward momentum. So he's got to, if he can step in and get more rise on his shot, he actually has some impressive versatility that shot and it'll go in. He made some difficult attempts, especially when he was running the pick and roll contested twos. I don't know if you want to live on that. And overall, he only had 25 points on 37 jump shots in the half court. Very few catch and shoot attempts. He was nine out of 24 on jumpers off the dribble, but threes were the ones that he was really missing. Uh, Three out of 16 on threes and only 64% free throws. So I definitely think he's got a ways to go as a shooter and he really is not comfortable taking catch and shoot looks. Uh, Also, he only had eight assists, which he was supposed to be this good passer. We saw flashes of that as well, but it 
wasn't quite there the way that you would have hoped I did think though that his defense was about as advertised and his floor game was about as advertised he showed that he cared out there which is certainly good but I kind of want a guy who summer league that's such a big competitive advantage that you kind of want those guys to shine a little bit more he his his potential for those who see him as a potential all-star or all-nba player the jump shot is mandatory for that there is no way for him to get there unless you're going to really run an offense through him and i don't think he has that sort of depth to his handle and to his passing you know he's more of like a like a grab and go type of guy or maybe a secondary you know depending on the circumstance and then he can contribute on defense and and other things so that's still a a really valuable player but if he if he can't shoot reliably he's not going to be there and i didn't see anything in his jump shot to make me think my analysis of him on the draft was inaccurate that it was poorly founded i am still hopeful that he can get better but that is exceedingly important and really that's that's what this is but it was nice to see what was the expectation that he would be able to contribute in these other ways be more firm be more firm because now we actually saw him do it against a different kind of competition he also got on the offensive glass pretty nicely averaged almost three offensive rebounds per game i agree with you though danny that I just don't see him being like making a living on these contested long twos that those are shots that you're going to want him to take. And then what is his destiny going to be? Is he, can he make a spot up three? If he can't, you don't have to guard him. And I think that's definitely a problem. They want to have the ball in Devin Booker's hands. They've got Bledsoe next to him. They don't have a ton of shooting in the front court at this point either. Definitely fit concerns. I mean, I do think that the more likely destiny is that he's a very solid role player. Even if he can't shoot, he can do that. But is he going to just be taking a terrible long two every time he gets a chance to? And Or can he reduce his usage and get to be more efficient? That's a question for me. Dragon Bender, since you've been so long a fan of his, I'll let you go first on him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so with Bender, if he could play center i you could see so much of that because he's very comfortable shooting like his his the mechanics are good on his shot he's getting getting more to the place i think his footwork has gotten better as well which is encouraging and against centers they would just you know it's kind of like the idea the appeal of myers leonard offensively that he could do that you just don't see him play with force defensively and the way that you can handle that is okay well then if he can do that then he can play the four but i don't think we've seen enough from him defensively to show that he can stick there either yeah this whole idea of him defensively is like he was gonna be like a bigger Andre Kirilenko I don't think that's gonna happen oh he that was always his... a little bit ridiculous yeah he, he doesn't move his feet quite quickly enough he's not a quick twitch athlete the way Kirilenko was he's not a guy where like because oh he switches on a guard okay he could do that a little bit but he also like for example they put him on Dennis Smith a bunch of times and Smith just absolutely killed him that's a tough matchup to be sure but he doesn't quite have the ability I don't know whether it's length doesn't quite cut guys off quickly enough to really make guys uncomfortable and they're able to blow by him so quickly that he can't even recover to block their shot at the rim and he did not have I think he only had one block and two steals in five games he's playing 30 minutes a game I did think he had some nice individual defense at times on guys his size like he shut down uh scal pretty well when he was trying to post up made it difficult for him to catch it wasn't able to really get into him and I do think the pick and pop could be a big weapon for him he's comfortable as you mentioned shooting with the footwork there quick high release doesn't have much of a dip even if he's being guarded by 
a combo forward on the other team he's got such a high release that i think he can get that off pretty well if the other team isn't switching now if the other team is switching let's just say he won't be the one punishing them he tried to post up a few times to get deep position got on the offensive glass a little bit like got fouled but not still something i'd expect him to be able to do at the nba level keep in mind though he's still pretty young right he's still only 19 and turned 20 until november i think so he, he's got a ways to go and then also his passing is something that when they actually give him the ball can be very impressive he made some beautiful backdoor looks out of dho situations operating from the elbows in transition he'll find guys he definitely when they do give him the ball which isn't very often because this is the suns and the suns will always have guards who want to jewel the air out of the ball apparently when they run stuff through him he's able to make some great decisions and some very impressive passes also like the jump shots got to actually go in 10 out of 35 on threes and well he can get a lot of them up and he's not shy you know he's got to make better than two out of every seven three-pointers to really be a threat and maybe he he will get there i mean i am pleased at least that he's willing to take these shots i am personally more confident that he will get there than that marquise chris will and i wanted yes. to ask you because you're you're more as a student of this part of nba history than i am but when i was watching chris i started thinking about uh jermaine o'neal early in his career so you know he he had those rough couple years with the blazers and then eventually you know became it became a an an underrated i would say contributor especially for the pacers but what i remember from jermaine o'neal in those days was that it was basically just his physical part working out it wasn't that he needed to learn how to play basketball and with marquis chris his instincts are terrible and all that kind of stuff is there on top of everything else yeah i think it's really an issue with him he gets extremely frustrated with the referees he gets extremely distracted at times you just hear if you're sitting close to the court his teammates always encouraging you hey you're all right you're all right man you're all right you know in the sort of tone that it's like it's not the first time they've had to tell him these things <laughs> it's uh they know that like all right it, like he's about to melt down like we better forestall this he did get fouled a lot but he still commits a ton of fouls I me mean, i think he had multiple games where he exceeded six fouls early on because the summer league fell out at least in the non-tournament portion they let you get up to 10 sadly he was taken out before he had a chance to fall out he had nine fouls one game we were getting really excited i don't think anybody fouled out with 10 fouls this year did they i didn't hear about it i didn't see any and that was a pretty grave disappointment especially there was one game oh it was it was a i think it was shake diallo he had four fouls in like six minutes and so i was already getting excited and then he didn't foul for like two and a half quarters and i got yeah, pissed i remember i remember you sending me an alert on that i was uh i was getting very excited and then uh alas, and then he just it did, it didn't he, happen he, he disappointed us but no, not in the same way that marquis chris disappointed us so i guess that's better they tried to post him up a lot he sucks at that uh it really was a, a major problem and overall he shot 35 percent from the field only three out of 14 on threes did shoot 30 on threes last year in the NBA but he still does not look extremely comfortable especially above the break maybe in the corners a little bit more I had hoped my two hopes for him and where I saw the upside coming out of school I wasn't as high on him but I thought that the two things he could do that would be really sexy were I thought he would have like a very nice jump shot that is not materialized yet as a catch and shoot guy. He looked like he could be maybe more of a pure shooter coming out of Washington than he's proved to be so far. And then I thought that he could face up and just blow by guys who were trying to guard him in the post. And he mostly was trying to operate with his back to the basket here. He's got the quick first step, but he's another one of these guys who, you know, if he were going up against,
against power forwards from 10 years ago yeah he could do those things that i'm talking about but now everybody who's guarding him is a combo forward and he's not big enough to really just go through guys he can't get up for some alley-oops he's got that finishing to be sure didn't block a ton of shots here as well he'll have some impressive blocks every now and again he'll go after a lot but doesn't really translate into that good of rim protection he just does a lot of dumb shit out there like it, it's really he doesn't seem like a smart player he seems to get easily frustrated and most guys like that we have not really seen them be able to put it all together when you consider just the fact that his shot's not going in and the the mentality concerns i it's difficult for me to be high on him going forward i was unfamiliar broadly with devon reed going into summer league he played played at miami was the 32nd pick so there were guys that i was more familiar with who who went after him and so that was surprising and i i got a little bit of a sense of why the suns were interested in him he's comfortable taking threes comfortable doing catch and shoot and he looks broadly like an nba player out there because he's on the suns he loved taking a bunch of bad shots but he did look comfortable taking the nba three heated up early in the tournament but then fell off and when it was all said and done it was only 10 out of 35 on threes but he did have 30 points on 27 catch and shoots he tried to shoot off the dribble more than maybe was advisable and then he does have a big strong body as a rookie i wouldn't expect him to be a huge contributor defensively but yeah like you said you could see what you liked in him uh Derek Jones Jr. was four out of 11 on threes, which is a step forward for him, mostly operating from the corners. Still would like to see more from him with that great athleticism in the floor game defensively still has a ways to go he's young still but he for example is one of the guys they tried on dennis smith finally they put josh jackson on him and he jackson did a little bit better a job but really for jones to be a rotation player you want him to be someone who can guard one through three and be a plus in those areas he's got to get stronger he's gotten a little bit stronger already we didn't see quite as many of the nuclear dunks as he's capable of here uh that's about it for that i mean i think he's making some strides with his shooting still a guy you want to keep around due to his length and athleticism but not really on a path to being in the rotation this year i would imagine and then mike james was someone i I wasn't that familiar with but he showed a few things such a summer league point guard because he shoots it a lot the only the passes he made were mostly of the spectacular variety that that could be more flashy than like great vision but he also has athleticism and and kind of relish those moments had a couple of nice dunks and i enjoyed watching him but i didn't sit there and go other than the fact that he's more like just incredibly athletic for what he is that i didn't see a place for him necessarily in the nba maybe more in the developmental league james is 26 will be 27 shortly he's on a two-way contract now with the suns but he had a great statistical summer league he shot 54 percent 43 percent on three-pointers got to the foul line had 36 assists in six games 11 steals in six games i liked what i saw from him frankly i think he is someone who might even deserve more than a two-way contract frankly teams are always looking for backup point guards who, who can do something he's got some impressive athleticism can get up off of one foot for some dunks going back door or in transition he definitely yeah like is not a guy like he'll take shots and he's not gonna be like i'm gonna run the offense here but we're, we're gonna say well i was gonna say that if brandon knight is really you know out for the whole year i have no opposition to him just basically taking the mantle and being their third point guard yeah I, I mean i think he can be capable there and maybe someone who can grow into being an nba player i will move on to the san antonio spurs but first this from Wink. When you have a great glass of wine, it enhances the moment. And it really enhances the moment when you can get a wine that is customized to your palate. 
I've never been a huge wine guy, but by answering their questionnaire, they're able to send me some stuff that I've really been enjoying during the summer. They ask you about stuff like how you like your coffee, how you feel about salt, citrus. Do you like earthy flavors? Do you like fruity flavors like blackberries? How adventurous are you? Red wine or white wine? And by doing that, they're able to actually send you stuff that you're going to like, even if you don't necessarily know that much about wine and that you can also feel confident giving to your guests if you don't really know anything about wine as i don't so here's how it works you go to trywink t-r-y-w-i-n-c.com slash cap space that'll get you twenty dollars off your first order plus complimentary shipping you can join for free and you can skip any month and cancel anytime they also have a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee so you never pay for a bottle that you don't like they obviously have a lot of confidence in their ability to send you stuff that you like based on that palette quiz that they give you at the beginning. So you want to get some great wines for summer. Once again, they are offering listeners $20 off your first order at trywink, T-R-Y-W-I-N-C.com slash capspace. That's $20 off with complimentary shipping at trywink.com slash capspace. Man, DeJounte Murray had about as disastrous a summer league as you can hope for. Or I shouldn't say hope for, as you might fear for, I guess would be more accurate. Yeah, I mean, didn't make a three-pointer, was in... Only was, took three three-pointers in four games. That's That was point. even the worst part to me. Only 10 points in 20 possessions as a pick-and-roll ball handler. I mean, he, he wasn't creating much separation, wasn't doing much with the separation that was created. And then I was also concerned that I didn't see much from him defensively. Like He kind of thought, oh, well, you know, even if the offense isn't there playing against summer league guys i mean granted the front court the the guard talent in utah was actually pretty good i mean you said markel then the celtics kind of weird question marks there but then exum and and you know and donovan mitchell for the jazz but he didn't look he didn't pop there and you need a guy who's a second year player with his talent level to do so yeah we had a few good passes to shooters on the weak side in the pick and roll but wasn't comfortable shooting jumpers out of the pick and roll he would throw up some crap floaters, wasn't really getting all the way to the rim and finishing. You would hope that against Summer League Big, someone with his athleticism could be able to finish. And for a guy who had such an encouraging rookie season, even had some moments in the playoffs at times, it was really a struggle for him. It was not a struggle for Bryn Forbes. Don't want to talk about him too much because I still don't think he's really going to be some regular NBA player just because of his physical profile as essentially a shooting guard. But if he can defend at the point, he has maybe a fit next to Kawhi Leonard who can run things and then set him up for threes, which he absolutely can make. I mean, he blew up. I think he had like three 30-point games. Uh, showed some more ability to create shots off the dribble. He also drew a lot of three-shot fouls. He's able to draw fouls on jumpers. That's really important. Uh, if he really gets pressured up by good defense his effectiveness goes way down uh but still he did everything that you could have asked for him from an offensive standpoint he was filling it up he proved that he can score on summer league guys that's good certainly better than what some of his teammates did but as you said the predictive value isn't there Derek white had an unusual road to the nba was a late first round pick by the spurs and at first i was really impressed with how even keel he was how composed he was but then both late in that first game and then kind of later on in utah and then you know i it got to the point where it looked more passive than composed and that is very hard to do 
do successfully in the NBA. Yeah, that first half of the first game, I was like, man, who is this guy? Like he plays with such great pace. He was taking some difficult shots, but he had a good sense for when he was able to get those off. He wasn't getting sped up. And then he started to get sped up for really the rest of summer league. He really devolved into taking a lot of bad jumpers, only seven out of 24 on threes, only 11 assists in six games for a guy who's supposed to really kind of be a point guard. And it wasn't due to lack of aggressiveness. He still had 26% usage. Uh, he was okay as a spot up guy, but in pick and roll, he was really ineffective. Three of 14 from the field with four turnovers when he tried to do stuff out of pick and roll. And then defensively, you know, he was looking like someone who probably is going to be a below average contributor due to not having a ton of athleticism. And he's, is he 23 already? He's pretty old, right? He's either 22 or 23. He might be 23 already. So you hope that when you draft a guy who's that old, that he's could be a little bit more effective than he was although he did it as we mentioned show some flashes at times he is 23 turned 23 during july davis burton's another roster guy who we hope to see a step forward from didn't really see it because just his three ball wasn't going down i'm not concerned about that for him in the nba i think he's he's definitely a wetter and it's not really going to be a problem for him you know if he goes two years without hitting his three i'll start to get concerned i uh, took 47 of his 59 shots during the summer league from downtown though and it was only 30 percent he will show some athleticism now and again he'll try to get up for some blocks not a great rebounder uh this this didn't really change how i felt about him though if he'd made shots i would have felt pretty good about it summer league so i'm not going to penalize him for just having a being a little cold over a 47 shot sample i was intrigued that he looked more comfortable with the ball in his hands i mean that's something that happens with summer league is guys just do that more often and so he he went through it a little bit more and not only that was grab and go but also sometimes on a closeout he would actually try to drive the hole which was yes. surprising. And if he can do that against NBA players, it's huge because that can make a difference for him of being more than just a pick and pop guy. But I'll need to see it more. So I'm kind of filing that away. And if we see that in the first month or two of the regular season, then I'll start to believe in it a little bit more. But it was fine. So in Sacramento, we'll start with uh, Papa G, Georgios Papianis. The good first. He looked to be in much better shape, obviously, than he was this time a year ago. And I think that he does play with an aggressiveness he tries to throw guys around he fouls a lot of course as a young big but he tries to get good post position uh he had a couple of games where he's very effective on the offensive last he had seven offensive rebounds in one game against a, a smaller front court i can't remember exactly who they were playing at the time and I also thought he looked more mobile defensively. He actually has length where he was able to slide his feet a little bit with shooters late in the clock, surprise them for some bad misses on jump shots, get over for some blocks every now and again. So that was encouraging, having improved his physical profile. But that was, in terms of his offense, it was a struggle aside from what I've talked about. At this point, a year and a little bit after he was drafted, he does not look like an NBA player to me. Like He doesn't play like an he's not that caliber of, of talent at this point in time and didn't wasn't effective on post-ups they tried it with some frequency he didn't look there he wasn't I, there were moments where he looked good defensively but he wasn't regularly impacting the game in that way and so like my read on him I was true in the first game and I watched a fair amount of Kings I enjoyed their summer league team was what I hope happens with him is that he's able to go abroad and just gets better this is actually what I wanted Jan Vesely what, what I hoped would happen with Jan Vesely and actually it seems like it might have happened but he just hasn't come back yet and just gets a lot better and then maybe at that point like it becomes an actualized version of like 27 28 years old and then he can come back but he is not there now 
at all. Well, the, the big problem is to me is that the post-ups are, are just horrendous. I mean, you remember he got the five-second back-down violation last year, which we enjoyed to no end, but he had four points on 16 post-ups, five turnovers, two of 11 from the field. That's bad. And they were trying to post him up. He has a big body. I mean, maybe he at some point can be a guy who can like post up right under the basket because he is that strong and get a few duck-ins. But in summer league post-ups in particular, posting up in general in the NBA against guys who are your size already, just uh, there are very few guys really who could be effective. And he, I don't think is going to be one of those when he does post up he tries to get it he'll he's one of these guys who like will go into a jump hook and then realize that he's 12 feet away from the basket and still shoot the jump hook anyway or he'll shoot a turnaround i mean i think he can get to have some nice touch but he, he flubbed some finishes in the lane as well or would travel when he caught it he's another one of these guys who like got drafted because there was some hope he could be like a skilled post-up guy and he looks good with like his post moves and warm-ups but he doesn't have good feel and posting up isn't really that valuable anyway. But I, you know, maybe he can get to the point where he could be an okay center if he just focuses on playing defense, hitting the offensive glass, finishing on, on pick and rolls. But he still, of course, has a long way to go even to do that. De'Aaron Fox, to me, was just about exactly what I was expecting and hoping that he would be. Better than all of the forward guys that a lot of people had some over him and worse than Dennis Smith. Yeah, I think that's right. The jumper, we'll start with that first. The three is not there. He's one out of eight. Didn't look comfortable taking them. Two-point jumper looks okay, though. I think at least he can punish guys from going way under, you know, and maybe if they go under on that first screen at the three-point line, then he can cross them back over get a rescreen and then he can pull up for an 18 footer that'll at least keep the defense relatively honest his defense is outstanding uh, uh i mean he still doesn't have a ton of strength but he's going to be a problem defensively in the passing lanes for people i think he's going to average like close to two steals per 40 minutes coming in almost right away. he's going to be one of the best guys in the league. he reacts so quickly he's got good length good athleticism and then once he gets a steal he will push it down your throat hard as well or as a grab and go guy like what we saw from him in transition the passing he had a couple of real nice passes to the roll man it was a difficult situation for him in the half court because they were playing with scal and papa g or they'd bring in jack cooley two traditional bigs not a ton of space on this team so he wasn't really able to get to the room and finish in the half court. That was really more full court pushing the ball. And, and he was very impressive there. And, you know, they didn't really have a ton of spacing. He was His passing was good, I think, but not spectacular by any means. He also, like, he's got a lot of quickness off the dribble, though, especially when he's going full speed at guys in transition. Like, he can make guys look real, real bad. Uh, but he also still is going to have to learn how to deal with NBA shot blockers. He's got a shot blocked a fair amount. A couple of different people at, like, you know, media members and things of that nature at Summerlee compared Fox to Mike Conley. And I thought there were elements of that that I really liked. But you want to compare him to young Mike Conley, not to current Mike Conley, because that's how he went from being, a you know, an intriguing player that was frustrating to a point to being a legitimate, you know, all-star caliber guy, even if he hasn't made an all-star game yet, was actually being able to hit his jump shot. And if Fox can do that, he'll be a, a great player. And if he doesn't do that, he'll still be a respectable, valued contributor, but he won't quite be at that level. Yeah, he does have a better physical profile than Mike Conley, actually. So, I mean, you could say that he has higher upside, but the odds of him becoming the type of shooter that Conley has been, uh, I think, are pretty low. Scal, disappointing summer league for him. 
isolating in the post just was not effective took a lot of long twos turned it over some got bodied up i still think he really needs to be a center didn't play that at all he's not going to get a chance to play that with the personnel that they have in sacramento he i mean i could see him actually getting pretty buried this year which was a big part of why i didn't care for the zach randolph signing did have nine blocks in five games but we just and he was able to be a role man finisher get some dunks but overall was very inefficient and defensively you really question of whether he is going to be able to defend out on the floor at the three-point line and so he may be limited to uh certain lineups where the other team is playing a traditional four-man as well he's the center long term and he ended up being drafted by a team that has way too many centers already so it might be a while until we see what he really can be and the un- in many ways you could say it's unfortunate that he ended up getting drafted in the late first rather than the early second when he had already fallen that far because teams really don't cut bait on first round picks that much unless it's like let's say the Celtics where they had to do that a couple times because they just had really good things to do with their cap space Sacramento is not going to be in that spot so unless he gets moved at some I just feel like he's going to be this intriguing but unrealized force for a little while. Yeah, and his feel is not great. Also only took three three-point attempts. You would have hoped if he was playing the four that they could have spotted him up a little bit more. Maybe get him working and pick and pop from the three-point line. But yeah, it was a lot of long twos for him. Not an impressive summer league for him. And this is a guy who had like, you know, some pretty big scoring games down the end of last season. Malachi Richardson only played one game and then suffered a recurrence of the hamstring injury that had him out for a significant period of time, nearly all of the last third of the year. That's not that great. He's 21. Uh, We'd hope that this hamstring thing is not too much of a lingering issue but he really seems like in their plans kind of an afterthought they brought in Bogdan Bogdanovich actually by the way if you didn't listen to it uh Aaron Jackson who played against him a lot in Europe had a a scouting report on him on our last show and they've got Buddy Heald as well so Richardson doesn't really necessarily seem to be in the long-term plans yet the one game he did play he was shooting every chance he got missed some wide open guys one pass away at times he's never been a, a huge favorite of mine we'll move on to Justin Jackson He's a guy who a lot of him really is very intriguing with his skill set. It's just like so many of these guys, the ball has to actually go in the basket. He does more without the ball in his hands than a lot of guys who are coming into the league. He had some nice cuts. He just was kind of in the right place at the right time a few times, which is good. And you you want to see that. I mean, it's not like he's super young. So it's not like, oh my God, he has preternatural instincts for like a 19 year old or anything because he's not that young. But I, I did like those elements of it. It's kind of a game that is conducive to playing with other good guys but players who have that as more their background and their skill set often get lost in the shuffle because remember that almost every good NBA player and even a lot of the fringe guys have those dominant elements and they just end up falling into secondary roles. For Jackson, he was effective coming off of screens, which is action that we didn't see a a lot in summer league. There aren't guys who can necessarily be effective on those plays. Six out of 14. He likes to off a floppy action, curl into the lane for a floater from even about 15 feet, which he can make with some modicum of accuracy. He also even had some moments as a pick and roll ball handler where he is able to, especially if he's facing ice coverage, he's able to get to the baseline and then pull up for a floater. Again, that's a a valuable shot. The three-pointer was disappointing. Nine out of 36 gets up plenty of shots, though, for sure. Uh, That shot selection was questionable at North Carolina. They did go in. He made a lot of contested shots last year. Wasn't as good earlier in his career with those. 
So he's also got some passing vision. He can make plays when he comes off that that pin down, hitting the big screener, rolling to the rim. But I, I do think he's a little bit thirsty, given how often those shots are likely to go in. I mean, we'll put it this way. With the mix of shots that he takes, he will have to be a special talent indeed to be efficient with the type of shots and how contested they are and where he's taking them from. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Let's. Uh, I want to talk to the next next guy because he had a couple of nice moments about their second round pick this year, Frank Mason, who I was intrigued by. I thought that he, you know, a little bit more of kind of a a scorer necessarily than I thought he was, but a lot of competitiveness, better athlete, and you know, probably more in the backup point guard realm. But still, those guys are incredibly useful. Yeah, I think he can be usually backup point guards are either like good offensive players or good defensive players. He probably falls into the former camp and he is a tough guy, good athlete for his size, strong, polished pick and roll game, can shoot the ball off the dribble in pick and roll when the defense goes under, can get to the rim, midget dribble, set guys up. He was just an experienced player and it showed he played well. He had a, one really big scoring game, sprained his ankle uh, later on in the tournament, so he wasn't able to play towards the end. But he showed what you expected. He was able to be effective against summer league guys. And I think most people, I think he was the 34th pick, thought I mean, he was I can't remember if he was the college player of the year or not, but he was pretty high in the voting if he wasn't. So he definitely was a very effective college player and and was at least able to translate that to the summer league setting. But he probably doesn't really have the physical profile to ever be a starter, but maybe he's a guy who can be a backup and, and, you know, is known as a good character guy. I would expect him to to be around for a reasonable amount of time. And his best performance was that captivating game when the Lakers sat all their starters, all the guys we expect to be in the NBA, and then they still were way ahead of the Kings. And then Mason actually led that comeback when and then the Lakers ended up winning. Buddy Heald only played three games, was not great. Uh, he had one hot stretch down the end of one of those games. Maybe it was that that same Lakers game, but that's about it. He shot 7 out of 20 on threes and only 9 out of 25 on twos. In particular, it's difficult for him to be efficient on twos. He doesn't have the ability to really rise up in the mid-range. He doesn't have the explosiveness to force a third guy into guarding the pick and roll, force the big to go and get him. They're still not that worried about him taking mid-rangers. He'll hit it every once in a while. He's got a little bit of a floater game. He had a couple of decent finishes at the rim, uh, and he never turns it over, which is nice either. But I think for him, what he did in Sacramento last year is probably a little bit ahead of where he actually is from a talent standpoint right now. And where he was in New Orleans is probably a little bit below. You know, I could see him settling in there. We'll see whether he gets to be like a quality starting shooting guard or not. He's definitely an NBA player with his shooting ability. I think he could be a guy you can count on to shoot high 30s, maybe even into the 40s on threes on on a pretty decent volume of attempts. And it's just a question of what else is he able to do beyond that and it's appropriate to talk about him towards the end of a podcast that we started with the alan crab news because you could see that as both a positive and a negative for him i mean guys that can shoot reliably from three and that can put up a volume have value in the league but if they can't do more than that they can be overrated and sometimes overplayed yeah i think that's an interesting comparison for healed toronto Jakob purtle i really liked what i saw from him because unlike so many of these summer league big men he was just playing within his skill set and he was very effective at it so i recorded uh, the second half of the real jam radio podcast with Audie joseph was on tears and an idea that i posited 
elicited in that was that based on partially what saw from Pirtle and Summer League was how much worse in the playoffs, not in the regular season, would the would the Raptors be if they were just giving Pirtle 20 minutes and then throwing the rest at Ibaka and maybe a third guy than Valanchunas? And my answer is not very much just because he's closer in line with what they actually need from a center considering they have Lowry and DeRozan. Yeah, and he's closer in line with, I think, what most teams need from a center at this point. Pirtle shot 71%, which is outstanding. 24-34 from the field in four games. He has a higher skill level than perhaps, and skill level just in terms of his touch. I think that's the biggest thing. Can put the ball on the deck for a couple of dribbles as well. He was capable of handling in DHOs, making some basic passes out of there. But when he catches the ball around the rim, he puts it in the basket. He's not like a great dunker. He'll If he gets a head of steam towards the basket, he can go up for a dunk off of one foot. His two-foot explosion is not very good. But he can catch, avoid traveling, and move the ball around, not get his shot blocked, keep it up in the air, and finish. And that is a skill that actually is important in the NBA. He's got more mobility than I think a lot of people give him credit for defensively. And he could uncork like a straight line right-hand drive every once in a while to just kind of go for a lane line layup. Not something you want him doing all the time, but it's one of those things where like, okay, if he's doing a DHO with a live dribble and no one guards him, he can just turn around and, and attack the basket. I mean, just looking at the efficiency, I mean, he had 21 points on 14 possessions as the role man. That's what you want for a guy, especially who's not taking a bunch of jobs. He took one three-pointer, I think, but generally operating around the rim. And then on dump-offs, 10 points on six possessions. Again, extremely efficient around the basket and I think can evolve into a quality defender. I don't know that he's going to be a center who is in the top half of starting centers, but I would be very surprised if he doesn't evolve into at least, you know, a lower end starting center. I, I liked what I saw from him. And while I was critical of that pick at the time just because I felt like how often as a team like Toronto, when you're drafting that high because they had the Knicks pick from that crazy Bargnani trade do you get a chance to maybe take a guy with more upside who might really change the direction of your franchise but I think he's going to be a solid player and at that point Chris was already off the board right yes Chris went one pick ahead of him yeah so I mean that draft starts to get a little bit rough down there I love we, we both really liked Wancho but there aren't that many guys and the Raptors you know they have this great D-League team and one of the guys who was a part of that was was Fred Van Vliet I thought he looked fine I, I wasn't necessarily blown away by what he can be as an NBA player but at that setting he can he can be effective and efficient I'm just not sure it works in the NBA yeah I mean if you just look in terms of what he actually did he was outstanding oh yeah shot eight of 18 on threes got to the foul line had 20 assists I mean for like a 510 point guard to shoot 55 percent from the field he is uh 24 points on 15 jump shots that's outstanding and he actually got to the basket a reasonable amount as well. I mean, he's never, he's not that explosive. He's never going to be an unbelievable finisher, but he finished well enough. He's able to operate and pick and roll. He can shoot the three when the defense goes under. He can get to the rim, slow things down, make the right pass that he was a big part of why Pirtle was so effective as the role man, who's diming him up a fair amount. Uh, and he can get to the rim and get his body into guys enough that he can at least get some shots up. Or, you know, a lot of times too, it would lead to, an offensive rebound for the role man when he would miss a layup so uh, and he shot 40 percent from threes in the g league he was a guy that kp's stat translations loved 
last year. I think he maybe could mature into a backup point guard. He is not the type of athlete that you normally see from someone with his dimensions. He's, I would put him as maybe a slightly below average NBA athlete. And when you're 5'10", that's not great. I think defensively, he's always going to be a liability, potentially a massive one for that reason. And especially in the NBA, he's going to struggle to get to the basket and do much. But I mean, he was a big part of why they had a a pretty good team. And you got to be happy with what he did in this summer league. Be interesting to see whether he actually can push uh, Dale on right at all and and get into the rotation, potentially. I mean, there may be some times when because Wright can't shoot, they just need to go with Van Vliet. I expect that he'll be on their active 13 a lot. And that's fine. I, th- I think he's he's earned that at this point. The other guy that they had that was around in summer league was Pascal Siakam, who I grew to really enjoy over the course of last year. And I don't think that adding the additional roles, like the additional responsibilities that come with summer league for a guy like him really did him much in terms of favors. Yeah, he looked good defensively. There, in terms of his ability to move his feet, his intensity definitely caused problems for whoever he was matched up against on the other team. I thought he did. It was good for him to be able to spread his wings. I I will respectfully disagree with you. I thought he took some steps forward. Like he actually took 11 three pointers and made four of them after taking zero three pointers in summer league. Oh, I'll agree with you on the threes. For me, it was more when the ball was in his hands, like dribbling and stuff. I was just like, it just didn't, it, it didn't do, it didn't move me. Yeah, well, he really outside of transition and spot ups, which includes driving to the basket, which I thought he was okay at, uh, he really didn't try to do much. So I I thought he stayed within his role pretty well, but he still managed to get some shots up. He had 21% usage, which is way more than he had in the NBA last year, obviously. Uh, And the three ball, while he did make four for 11, takes him a long time to get it off he kind of like sticks his leg way out he has this wide base he's just got to sort of uncork it I would so I I wouldn't expect him to be taking all but the most wide open corner three-pointers in the NBA this season he also was not very good on the glass you would hope that a guy like him an energy guy strong body plays hard could do better than a nine percent rebound rate which is below average he's playing power forward almost the entire time and you hope that he could do a little bit more on the offensive glass as well so that that would be something that you would hope that with his tools that he could actually be a plus rebounder at the four in the NBA and I don't know that we're we're uh, we're there yet for him. Utah in in many ways they they were the reason why going to Utah Summer League was was valuable because their players really didn't see much uh, as much of the floor in Vegas, especially Dante Exum, who I don't think played at all in Vegas. And yeah. the star there was still Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell, their late lottery pick, they moved up to get him, only sacrificing Trey Lyles to do so, and. We actually talked about him a little bit in the first half just because it came up because he looked good, better than like you would look at his shot totals and be like, ah, that's there. Like like that that part wasn't, but his defense, his aggressiveness, and his athleticism were incredibly impressive. Yeah, we'll start with the defense where he really just got into Jason Tatum in particular. I think his intensity, his strength, his length could make him an option potentially against bigger players. And that's something that frankly utah is going to need i would actually not be surprised to see him guarding more threes and joe ingles who's had more success actually guarding guys in pick and roll maybe will do more of that but not saying he can't guard smaller players as well but i think he can be an option against bigger guys you know when you get up to like a lebron james carmel anthony size maybe not but just more more normal size threes perhaps so 
the intensity was outstanding got a ton of steals I thought that his spot shooting was something that's very impressive even just watching him warm up like he is just making every shot in warm-ups jumps lands in the same spot very classic form now you do worry a little bit I mean, he had some very nice shooting games and he actually had some plays where he's able to step back behind the three-point line off the dribble or you know fake a back door and then pop out for a three and had the footwork he gets such good rise that he's able to kind of step back and still pop up for a jumper but he only shot 32 percent on threes last year at louisville and for all of his brilliance at times was 31 percent here he created a ton of shots he had 31 percent usage overall but he shot 40 percent and it was one of those times where the flashes the wild plays were so exciting that you wonder all right is he really going to make shots in the nba is he really going to be able to be efficient maybe not at the beginning but in time or is it going to be a lot of man this guy's athletic look at him get up for this offensive board he's really getting into guys defensively i think he's going to be outstanding but offensively i'm not quite as high on him as everyone else was just because i think he was their only option especially in vegas for scoring and i despite how good the jump shot looks i i think it'll get there but i'm a little more of a skeptic than everyone else seems to be right now there's sort of a fun yin yang that i see developing with him and rodney hood where if hood had a lot of what makes mitchell tick in him then hood would be the guy that i want him to be and if mitchell had the size obviously the size but if he had some of the mechanics as a jump shooter and all that that hood has i think that i would like him better but you can't combine players and mitchell's best role at least for the near term would be as the third best offensive perimeter player. So then he can really get into guys defensively take shots when they come but that's true for a vast majority of nba players you know if you could be in that if most guys could be in that role they would succeed more than they do in their other ones yeah it's very interesting to see i mean he definitely created shots he's able to get to the rim can't really jump off of one foot but he really really explodes off a two is he going to be a guy who really is going to be creating offense or is he going to kind of be more like a maybe a better defending Gary Harris type of player? Will we see him selling more into that kind of a role where he's spotting up more? Maybe he can drive to the basket, but you know, isn't someone who's really doing a ton with the ball in his hands as the initial creator. I still would tend towards the former, but he showed enough flashes here to think that the latter could be possible. Yeah. You want to talk about Exum? Yeah, I thought that he generally did what he was supposed to do. I mean, he's going into his fourth year as one of the more experienced NBA players. Yeah, I mean, thinking of him as extension eligible. Yeah, uh, and but he needed this. And I actually thought that he should have been playing at times in the D-League last year because he's got to begin to get into a situation where he can feel free to make some mistakes and press the advantage. The big development for him was actually being comfortable taking and even making some jump shots off the dribble, which has been completely missing from his skill set. He was actually able to hit some threes off the dribble. That's what we want to see for him. He was able to pull up for some mid-rangers as well. The handle looked a little better, still not where it needs to be at all, but he actually had a couple of plays where he was able to get in pick and roll and put the big on skates and blow by him and get to the rim. I like to see that from him. Uh, He got up for some pretty nice blocks on defense as well defensively he still to me is regressed from his rookie year he's not getting over screens he's not as intense as he was back then that's actually one thing that i've noticed is that when guys tear their acls a lot of times they really take a step back defensively you put derrick rose in that category 
That does well. not I'm bode not well sure. for Jabari Parker. No, no, I I suppose not. Uh, well, so Exum has been, for the last couple of years, has been a clarifying player for me because I was high. I actually had, after Joel Embiid got hurt, I had Exum number one in that draft class. And the reason I'm, I think I made a mistake on him was that I undervalued just kind of shake or just the ability to create separation through a dribble, through a handle, and then having a reliable jump shot. I was like, oh, you know, look, he's going to be a versatile guard defensively even if he doesn't work out he can get kind of like what he was his rookie year he can be a catch and shoot guy he can defend multiple positions what i have eventually realized is that that player is just not as valuable as i thought it was and that's a, an element with him and xm deserves credit for becoming more than the early concerns were that he would be limited to but those same fundamental flaws in terms of lack of kind of lack of shimmy are still there yeah because he really in a straight line like from a stop he can just explode by guys i mean he's got a lot of speed still but yeah you you mentioned that that he can struggle trying to get by guys and i thought his passing vision he shows some stuff at times he's gotten better there didn't turn it over as much as he has in the past he still is an excellent lob thrower in pick and roll he also is one of the better guys at working under the rim on a midget dribble and then finding a guy cutting down the lane for a bucket he's a very imaginative passer but he's still got to tighten everything up a lot but just in terms of i mean at least he didn't suck right like that's and i was worried that he might you know he was able to score well he created offense it was definitely the best player in that summer league in utah tony bradley the jazz late first round pick who they if memory serves they moved up to get him right Yes, very slightly. They had 30 and they went up to 28. Yeah, and so they they moved up and got him. I am very conflicted because there were times where I thought, oh, like, look, he can play a little bit. And both on offense and defense, like, I like his hands. There were times where he had, you know, where he had an impact on a a shot or a shooter and, you know, like as a rim protector. But then there are other times you're sitting there going, like, how is this going to work? Well, we got a little bit of a preview of that because he had some moments in individual defense that I was actually pretty impressed by more I saw it when I was scouting some other players where smaller centers would try to take him off the dribble and just he actually would stop them pretty well uh had a few moments protecting the rim but he's not really much of a leaper he's got great length the offensive glass is a strength for him soft hands catching it didn't really like the way his jumper looked it kind of take it kind of reminds me a little bit of like tim duncan's jumper but like the worst aspects of it just a flat shot it's kind of like he'll like hold it and then he like hits the shoot button and shoots it as fast as possible all of a sudden it's kind of a slingshot delivery so not one where you think oh this guy's going to be taking like long twos effectively anytime soon they've been very high on Locke has been talking about this a lot about his ability to second jump around the rim or to catch a, a lot pass he's not going to get up for an alley-oop but he can catch a lob pass come down and then go right back up with it quickly so i i thought that he showed the moving the feet was good to see from him again i didn't really like the pick because i just you know how valuable can that type of player really be wouldn't expect him to get many minutes for the jazz this year he'll probably spend a lot of time with their d-league affiliate last guy i want to talk about briefly eric griffin who's just an impressive athlete 
a guy who can be maybe a modern four, maybe even like a Dallas five. When I say that, I mean like a guy, you know, a Dwight Powell, a Brandon Wright type of guy who's not big enough to play five on the first unit, but maybe on the second unit he can. Uh, blocks a lot of shots, moves his feet, an impressive athlete. He's had some moments. He actually had an attempted murder charge, I think about a year ago that he was cleared of. And so maybe he'll get a chance now on a two-way or, or maybe a team will bring him into camp but he, he had a nice summer league uh let's get to washington we're almost done here danny i can't believe it. this is going to be like a two and a half hour podcast they're always two and a half hour podcasts but the wizard yeah, i mean we're giving we're giving people like more hours worth of content in the off season so far even on two days a week than we than we would when we we're doing five days a week yeah so washington had a an, kind of an unusual collection because they did have three roster players but three guys that don't figure to be really significant players on their roster i want to start with chris mccullough who was one of the it seemed like a throw-in in the broader deal that sent andrew nicholson to brooklyn and Bojan bogdanovich to washington though I think he's the only guy from that trade left on the Wizards. And I I didn't see much there. I, I never really saw much there. And he did deal with injuries early in his Brooklyn tenure. That's why he fell in the draft. But I just I don't I don't see an NBA guy there. Yeah, at age twenty two, we have not seen he was supposed to be this nuclear athlete. He tore his ACL halfway through his freshman season at Syracuse. Disastrous statistically. He got shots up, twenty five percent usage, but fourteen of forty eight from the field, O of twenty. 12 on threes and you have to imagine that he at this point is in danger of not getting his fourth year rookie option picked up as he goes into his third year i saw a few flashes from him slightly but i mean you have to remember like even on the nets team that had nobody at the four he played like what 37 minutes before he got traded and then obviously it didn't get any run in washington either so you have to imagine that the end may be near for him and in fact even with the wizards tax concerns i wouldn't be shocked to see them actually like wave and stretch him at this point and he could also be a candidate for what i've said the warriors could do with kavon looney which is trying to yeah. trade him to a team that just takes him as a flyer and ideally trying to do that yeah good luck trying to do that before they have to make a decision on the option because who knows maybe the other team really likes him in training camp and makes that decision but yeah it, it's not going to be easy and there isn't much just free money floating around in the league so I, I it's hard to see a team taking a flyer on him in that way unless they threw in some cash which at that point maybe they would the Josh McRoberts I enjoyed the effort from Sheldon Mack MAC he changed his name from McClellan just to Mack now he is older he turns 25 in December but I liked what I saw from him shooting the ball. He was only four out of eight on three-pointers, not a ton of shots, but there wasn't really anyone on this team who's set, able to set him up off the dribble. And he was t- showed some impressive versatility on the attempts that he did take. I don't know whether it's going to go in or not. He shot seven out of 30 in the NBA this year. He's actually started a couple of games, only played 30 games overall. He did shoot well his senior year at Miami, shot over 40%. He was 35% the year before. So I think he actually, there's some reason to believe that he can be a solid shooter. I've always liked his defense since I saw him before his senior year at Adidas Nations gets into guys pretty well i liked his ability to get to the foul and he actually was one of the few guys in summer league who was able to use some of those tricks that we so hate in the nba going up through guys arms etc by the way i mean for as much as we talk about how annoying that is like nobody at summer league was actually able to use those type of tricks you know i mean it really takes a lot of practice and skill as an nba player you also need defenders you also need defenders to actually be close to you (laughs) 
I, you know, it's funny. I think that summer league, actually, the level of intensity, you can make an argument that it's higher than a normal NBA regular season game. Yeah, it's just that the skill level is a lot lower and the execution's a lot lower. Sure. But I mean, you've got guys playing for their lives. They're probably only playing 20 minutes a game as well, you know, where you're playing more in the NBA. It's not an 82 game season. You don't have guys who are kind of beaten down. I mean, it's actually like a lot of times you'll see guys who like aren't the greatest ball handlers bring the ball up where like they actually will have problems with guys like picking them up full court in summer league where it like wouldn't be a problem in the nba because guys just don't really do that um but back to the mac if we will here oh you could have made a return to the mac there but i'm so disappointed in you You're no, no but see because uh, because i am old I actually thought that the phrase was back to the back. <laughs> wow. Well, also, you're not from the Bay, so well, that's I'm not that's even, okay. I'm not, I, I'm like not even as cool as KP because he actually has made oh, that joke. Oh, he actually has, he before. actually has some cred here. So I, I wouldn't even, that, that's not even fair to KP. Well, it's very fair that I'm not, uh, that I'm not as cool as him. That is, yeah. that is definitely true, at least in, in this regard. Uh, in the pick and roll, Mac was not able to be effective. Four points on 13 possessions, forced it a lot, was missing open guys. That's fine. He's not going to be out to do that i did like what i saw from him with his handle in transition he was able to push the ball he had one really nice behind the back on a full speed push and then he found a guy for a layup driving on closeouts as well he was able to be effective and because he got to the foul line so much he was able to be like you know i think he had over 600 true shooting and did a lot i mean i think he actually could be a guy who might be able to give them some minutes as a backup too i like what i saw from him yeah i mean i don't know well so the wizards have this strange circumstance where they i guess they do theoretically have minutes considering they have a lot of guys with health concerns so they don't they don't have a rotation spot right now yeah. but they'll. Come. i mean when's the last time jody meeks made it through a, a full season when's the last their, time jody meeks made it through like too. a month yeah i mean yeah that was uh i i think actually low-key that might end up being like one of the worst contracts of the summer Especially when we've seen some of the other like shooter type guys still out there, like Brandon Rush and Morrow and all those. So if those guys are getting the minimum, because remember for the Wizards, that's a pretty significant financial difference, not only for th- for their base level, but for the salary cap. Because if he was, if they got a guy at the minimum, they're only paying him one point four million, and that's only what counts towards the tax. Well, and Tabo Cephalosha, I think his second year is getting like what, like four million, and the second year is nine guaranteed or something. I think it's a, I think it's a team option actually, but same basically. Oh, uh, maybe it's maybe it's actually he might be getting five, but maybe maybe if they offer him the and maybe they did and it just wasn't there. But I think I think they could have done better for that money. In any event, uh, I think that'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much to our sponsors today. Wink trywink.com slash catspace. You get twenty dollars off your first order with complimentary shipping, of course, and. and Anything that we need to talk about before we go, Dan? I'll plug two things. One, the second half of the Real Jam Radio Tears podcast with Adi Joseph is going to come out soon. I have to edit it, but it'll probably come out on Thursday, maybe on Friday, whenever I get it done. And since I don't know the next time we're necessarily going to record, I'll promote the launch of The Athletic SF, which I am thrilled to be a part of. Yes. I'll be be a part of the Warriors component. I'm not going to write on the Niners and Giants and all that yet, unless somebody really wants me to, though I used to cover both those teams. And... You know, Tim Kawakami, Marcus Thompson. It's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah. The Athletic, I, I mean, for those who are, I'm not going to do a full promo for it, but they're all, they also have announced recently a, a college football vertical and a college basketball vertical. So it's starting to get to the point where 
even if you're not in one of the cities that that we're covering right now, it's it's worth a subscription. I'm really thrilled with where it's going, and I will have Warriors content out on on August first. I'm working on the piece right now. Well, so yeah, if you subscribe to San Francisco, you get like all of the cities, right? Right. If you subscribe to one, you get all of them. So the surplus value is yeah. getting pretty impressive, especially if you're like with the, with the depth of talent in each one of the locations, and now having the separate verticals. I mean, like just the the talent have Seth Davis and, and some of the college basketball stuff. Like I'm going to enjoy that because we don't have much time to watch college basketball during the season. So to to be able to read some writing on it too, and and everything else. And for those that are interested in hockey, they're really devoting to hockey coverage which is pretty cool because hockey is awesome and they got jason lloyd i that's actually why i ended up subscribing because i wanted to get hit like some of his stuff that he had some good reports on so yeah i mean and that's a fucking all-star team kawakami marcus you like steve berman's gonna be doing it too like and i love it people complain about like content not being free well you know it's really not that expensive it's like three bucks a month so if you're gonna read it every day for 20 cents a day it's like well well worth it well and also as something we can attest to from our own business like it just creates a, a more reliable base for it because advertising is just so inconsistent and so if you want to make sure that the people you like are doing stuff in a way that you will be able to continue enjoying it this is i think a more reliable model than some of the other things that are out there and you know i i i feel like it's a it's not the same as what we do but there's sort of an analog in that way especially with the patreon patreon.com slash duncan LaRue, that the people who get value from it can enjoy it and that can, that that can go in that way and then just build a base for everything else yeah and by the way we will be doing a patreon mailbag at some point soon here it just obviously it takes a ton of time to go through all the film and the stats on I mean, what have we hit on probably like 70 or 80 players in this? Like, And I, I think that's a, a point to just number. consider, even though you and I both attended both Vegas and Utah Summer League, there was film involved in this, too. It wasn't just like, oh, we got back oh. and just recorded this off the cuff. This is a lot of a lot of time, especially for you. All right, then uh, we will talk to you all the beginning of next week. We're probably going to be aiming around usually like Sunday nights and Wednesday nights will probably be generally our uh, schedule here, but we may fluctuate on that a little bit. And also, if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and listen to that Aaron Jackson podcast. If you have any feedback on that, I thought it was his first time ever being on a podcast. I thought he was awesome. He's more frank, really, than like any professional basketball player I've ever heard. He follows the NBA really closely, had a ton of interesting stuff to say about his former teammates in uh, uh, Moscow, European players coming back over, uh, just like, and he's like fucking hilarious too. So uh, that one's got a little bit more explicit language than some of ours do, but we wanted to kind of just let it flow. And I was, I'm proud of that one. I thought he was really good. And I know some people are like, hey, you know, we don't really like it when you have guests. We want to hear your analysis. But I think he's a guest that also provides some analysis and it was really interesting. So hopefully y'all will listen to that. And we've now been promoting shit for like five minutes. So that's probably enough. We'll talk to y'all next time. <laughs>